The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. And it is guest day. Dan and I are not on our own. We have one of our, I think, four guests that we're having this season on. Guest number two, I believe, if we're putting them out in the order that I think we are. But we're getting a bit jumbled in my head. But that's not—that's nothing new, nothing new. Uh, first of all, before we get to our glorious guest, Dan, how you doing, my friend? I'm all hair fevered up, up again, so apologies if my uh, my voice goes a bit funny. I've been even struggling to breathe at some points today, so oh, it's uh, combine that with uh, emotionally compromised from by the uh, by the Stranger Things finale. I'm, uh, I'm I'm having a good day, but, uh, but a bit of a difficult one in some respects. How are you, pal? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. I'm okay. I've had a, I've had a bit of a sore throat, um, as as people are aware. I suppose from other things I do, um, I've had to cancel and postpone plenty of recordings, cancel a potential commentary commentary issue I was going to do, commentary performance I was going to do for a wrestling company. I had to postpone that as well because I lost my voice. And obviously, you can't record podcasts or do wrestling commentary if you haven't got a voice, can you? So, but no. it's coming back. I'll apologise in advance. I, I still will get a bit croaky and a bit coffee and so on as this goes on. I can feel it already. But hopefully, we'll be able to power through. But hopefully, the workload will be lightened because we have a third voice with us this week. Our John Pertwee story for season two of our show has been chosen by the always excellent, always wonderful, always glorious Mr. Matt Willis. Uh, Matt, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, thank you, Sai. Hey, Dan, it's always good to hear your, your dulcet tones as well. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. No, thank you very much for joining us, Bird. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, first of all, I suppose, standard practice when we've had guests on. Well, I say standard practice, surely the second one we've had, but there you go. <laughs> it's going to be standard practice. Uh, how did you discover and first get into Doctor Who? How, how What is your Doctor Who story, I suppose? Well... I'm younger than you are, Si, which isn't saying a great deal, I'm aware. Uh, by, your own, <laughs> by, your, by, your, by your own definition, so you are an old git. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not so young myself nowadays, but I started watching Doctor Who when Doctor Who was cancelled, actually, ironically. Okay. It was cancelled between 87 and 96. And BBC, in their very, very good wisdom, started showing Doctor Who uh, in the 90s um, on Friday evenings um, in 92, 93 sort of time, and I thought, what is this sort of thing? I was... I happened to catch uh, it, because it was happening after Thunderbirds. That would be repeated from the 60s as well, ironically, I'm aware. Um <laughs> For the first time, I believe, since the 60s, that's a whole other podcast, which I'm not not promoting, Morty, before you think about it. Uh, um, yeah, so I started watching it, and it actually started with, uh, ironically, what I caught was this serial that I forgot to talk about today. 
Oh, okay. So this is the first, the first proper story you watched then. This is my this is my journey into Doctor Who. Yes. The ironic thing is, is that in the middle of doing this, uh, it was also the fifth anniversary of Doctor Who that year, and slap bang in the middle of it because my dad would take them off the TV from me onto your, on your v, onto VHS because uh, he was cheap. Uh, but in the middle of it, he take you would take anything Doctor Who related. So in the middle of the story, obviously it's a six episode story. This mm-hmm. is what I'm looking at. Um, there is uh, dimensions in time. Um, that two-parter from uh, Children Eat, of course, which right. obviously. Um, so they had cameos from do- from doctors and companions who I didn't know, and I was like, "Who are they?" <laughs> so, right. so, so looking back now, it's it's actually quite a, it's actually quite a sweet, funny thing to see. But yeah, that 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 was how I first went to Doctor Who. I was hooked. Oh, Matt, nice. Matt starts with this. I started with the movie. Bloody hell. Talk about a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned to us previously, and obviously this this story is chosen by you because of this reason. John Pertwee is is your doctor, isn't he? He's my doctor. Absolutely. I mean, he, he when I've looked back into, like, the time period, I mean, obviously he took over from Troughton. Troughton had big shoes to fill when Hartnell left, of course. So the question was going to be, Who's going to take over from uh, Patrick Troutland? Because he was a, quite a big star in his own right at mm-hmm. that point. Uh, and obviously, um, John Pertwee stepped into the uh, into the role and saw, saw like this dashing James Bond style version of the Doctor. And he was he was very flamboyant. You could tell from all the ruffles he had and the amazing hair and like good grief. Like but it's also we also got one of the, one of the most um, legendary phrases of Doctor Who from him, of course. Reverse the polarity. <laughs> <laughs> we've actually... said before. Mm. Sorry, I was gonna say we've said before here, only John Pertwee could pull off that look as well. Yeah. All the ruffles and the and the like you say, the flamboyance. I'm obviously new to the vast majority of this, but I think he always dresses fantastic. Well, I was going to ask that, actually, um, Dan. Classic Who is... The whole premise of our podcast, of course, is very much that you've not seen much of Classic Who and I can't remember much of New Who and and so on. With regards to John Pertwee, then, what have you seen? What what are you familiar with? uh, And so on, Dan. Uh, I've seen Inferno. Right. I've seen Planet of the Daleks. Right, the two shows that (laughs) we've covered, yeah. (laughs) And I've seen... um, Two or three parts of Spearhead from Space. Okay, that was his debut, of course. Yeah, because well, I watched. Um, I wanted to see the regeneration of Troughton into um, uh, Troughton into Pertwee, so I watched yeah, the ten-part War Games. I was intrigued. I didn't know. I didn't really go in with any expectations. So mm-hmm. the key to happiness is to is to <laughs> the key to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> so I enjoyed I the War Games. I, I watched the War Games about recently. I enjoyed them. Yeah, the war game is really good, but I think Matt was referring to the uh, the lack of sort of quote unquote proper regeneration. Yeah, regeneration. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but it didn't bother me because I knew that they probably didn't have really have the budget to do that. Not really, no. Of anything um, else, so all the technology. <laughs> as 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 um, we'll go as we go through the episode through the serial, um, there's a lot of cost cutting measures in the BBC at that time, notably with Doctor Who. In terms of actually recordings of it, which we'll get to. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, Perky yeah. was so flamboyant. I mean, much like Matt Smith took inspiration from Troughton for his um, look, especially his later look. He ditched the tweed so much, and he had the bow tie on him, but he had, it was not quite as bright the tweed he was wearing, was it? You'll think you'll agree with that. Um, yeah. There was definitely elements of Perky in uh, Capaldi. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. I think I think I've made that outfit. I think I've made the same comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah, a lot of that, and it was, uh, mm. it's sort of, it, for me, you know, working backwards, as it were, it was, it's great to see the uh, the inspiration behind uh, behind for Capaldi's sure. look, because, again, only Capaldi in, in recent years can pull off the looks that he did. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I would also like to point out that you said that you watched Inferno, and obviously you reviewed it for uh, for the show. Mm. It's my least favourite Doctor Who story of all time. Really? Why? Now, that's interesting, because... I, I don't know if you you heard it, Matt, but at the end of season one, we ranked all the stories we looked at on our first season. I did, and I I actually had Inferno as number one mm-hmm. of everything. I think I, did. I, think I did. I, I did. think I had it at three. Mm, I'm aware yeah. a lot of people who say, "Oh, he's just being controversial, being controversial," uh, slightly maybe, but at the same time, uh, it, it it's not what Doctor Who was about for me because obviously that period was before he got the TARDIS back, as it were. Mm-hmm. You got to look at the cost-cutting measures, obviously, where he was grounded on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into it um, in this season, uh, which is the, a couple of, which is the season that he got the TARDIS back, because obviously he started the, series, the um, series with the three Doctors, mm-hmm. which was it's the, it's the bar to set yourself for a multi-part Doctor. Um, serial because even with William Hartnell very ill at the time, he was there to contribute. And I mm. loved, and so everything from then onwards for me was very good. There was some good stuff set on earth, but it is for me, it was lacking with Lobby Tommy Wimey. Yeah, I can appreciate that because it is a slightly different show, isn't it? When he is when he is sort of banished to Earth, I suppose. But <laughs> Inferno is more dimensiony wenchy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with Inferno, <laughs> I think you've got the whole being banished to Earth, but still traveling elsewhere kind of aspect, and the the characters and their sort of alter egos, I guess, and so on. I, I find fascinating. But no, again. This is why shows like ours are, are, are so interesting for me to, first of all, record and secondly, listen to other people's because everyone's opinions are different. There's no right or wrong answer. And I find it fascinating that, you know, you may like something I dislike and vice versa. So, yeah, it's, it's always really interesting. I have to ask though, Matt, where do you stand on the Happiness Patrol? Right. Um, as far away as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. a great answer. That's up there with one of my favourite jokes. What do you give an elephant an upset stomach? Plenty of room. Just to again, throw it out there again, I, I quite like the Happiness Patrol, but then I love terrible horror movies. I, I, I do too. To be fair. I like, I'd like a, a bad horror film, don't wrong, but... Yeah, that, it, it's creepy, but sometimes it's not the creep kind of creepy. You can be like, oh, this is good sort of thing. But we think angels are legitimately terrifying. Legitimately mm-hmm. terrifying. So much so that they believe through in other cultures. It's it even bled through into The Witcher 3. I don't know if you've played that video game or not, but there actually is a scene in that where you're playing Geralt, the character, and 
he'll go into a church, come out, and let the all of his stone statues have turned to face him and will follow him when he's not looking at him. I've been meaning to get to that. I need to uh, make that a priority. I would. I would. It, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And you get some people that are like, how can you be terrified of a stone statue? I'm like, oh. Mm. It's amazing to think that that, that, it, that episode is 15 years old. Blink. Yeah, well. yeah that, that's something that we're noticing as well, Dan, isn't it? When we're looking at New Who on the show, it is still some of it that we're looking at is still quite a distance away. I think if you like say, say, I don't know, um, Tennant is the best example. I think of David Tennant being the doctor as it was yesterday, but it was yep. 15, 16, 17 years ago. You know, it's not a short period of time ago. Many, many existential crises on this end. Cause obviously <laughs> I, was, I was watching Eccleston Tennant when I was a teenager and yes. I'm very much not a teenager anymore. And I don't like the passage of time. It confuses and scares me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so then, speaking of the passage of time, let's have a little look at this passage of time in the early part of 1973 from, well, April and May, this six-parter was first broadcast. We have John Pertwee as a doctor. His companion for this serial is Joe Grant. The greatest of all time, in my opinion, and I will, uh, and I will interesting. anyone for that. Yeah, I don't mind Joe. She's she's good enough. I mean, a bit a bit damsel in distress at times in this in this particular story, but uh, you know yeah. it, it worked for what we needed. It worked for what we needed on the story. Now this is a six parter, and we do need to obviously bear in mind that we we're not going to be recording from now until tomorrow morning. So we'll have to sort of skirt around some things and get through as much as we can because there is a lot that goes on in this six part story, isn't there? There's a lot happening here, yeah. mainly because this is part of a multi multi-serial arc mm -hmm. because it literally picks up at the end of Frontier in Space yes. after, with the Master having shot the Doctor. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And that's how the show starts, isn't it? The Doctor has been shot by the Master uh, and Joe is getting him into the TARDIS. He passes a message on to the Time Lords telepathically. Yes. And yeah then Joe has to start recording on the ship's log, which looks mm. very much like an, an old cassette box, let's be honest. It does. And yeah. at this point, the Doctor's slipping into a coma, and then she turns around and it looks like he's done a massive amount of cooking. It yeah, does, yeah. He's got, he's got <laughs> ice on him because he's, his body has dropped so low. If my, if my memory's going to be correctly, and there is, there is um, something that Dan may not know here as well, Sorry, is that I'm doing this entire... Um, this entire recording with no notes. I'm also doing this recording having not watched it in 22 years. Well, impressive. impressive. Thanks for taking our show so seriously. Um, there's <laughs> <laughs> two, two very different reactions to that. <laughs> the reason, side because I know this serial line for line, <laughs> right? So, was it cooking? I, Oh, possibly, <laughs> possibly, very possibly, very possibly. Who knows on that side of thing? His, his eyes got very wide shortly after. <laughs> they do, they do. Um, his heart, both his hearts, are only beating one every ten seconds. If my memory serves me correct, and that side of things, which uh, yeah, that's true. If you got one heart, it's bad. <laughs> Let alone two. Yeah, so there we go. It's uh it's an interesting, interesting start, obviously, because we're looking at this as a story, as a six-parter. But as we said, it, it does follow on from the episode previously as well, which you don't tend to get masses of, I suppose. You do get sort of a, you know, underlying stories running through various different episodes at different times. But when I put this on, 
I, I, I've not seen for, well, maybe I have, but a long time ago, the previous story. So seeing the doctor straight off the bat lying on the floor, I'm thinking, okay, have I pressed the wrong episode when I was on, on a, um, on Britbox? Have I clicked on the wrong episode to start or whatever? So I went back out on the menu. Oh no, I got the right one. Went back in, started again. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I had to look into it a little bit and find out why that had happened. But it basically exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's little. Yeah, <laughs> similar to when we watched the David Tennant story with Gary, and it seems like mm. we were going into the story. The very beginning of the story was going in halfway through because it, it opened with the Doctor running into the TARDIS, getting shot at. Yeah, it, so, that's exactly what reminded me of as well. Obviously, with recency bias, but I quite like that it was straight into the action mm. um, it, it, after the initial confusion. Um, but yeah, we were very quickly, you know, shooty shooty bang bang. Doctor's having a nap on uh, on a pull-out bed from a bit of IKEA furniture. <laughs> so I shouldn't I shouldn't rag on it. We, we um, I'm like I say, a bit emotionally compromised today. But um, it was it was certainly different. It was a like that. It was a Cardiff with with the round things. Like, we all love yes. the round things. I love the round things. <laughs> oh, things. No idea. <laughs> yeah, they got circuitry behind them and stuff, haven't they? Oh yes, actually, yeah, we did. We found that yeah. out in that uh, that god awful Colin Baker piece of shit. That's right. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and um, in ironically, in Dimension in Time, uh, Rani uses the round things in her one to store um, avatars behind. So oh, okay, oh, very creepy, very creepy, very creepy. <laughs> yes, something I think is going to be a bit of a theme as we go through this story here. I mean, ultimately, well, we'll some of our thoughts of it all at the end, obviously, like we normally do, but. To give you my initial my, my initial thought process, the story I quite enjoyed. But Dan and I, we always look at these these older classic Who serials, these older stories, with very much the thought process of it was of its time with regards to effects and what we're watching and costumes and so on. And so and and because it is old and sometimes a bit a bit ropey around the edges, we do have a laugh and a joke at its expense. You know, it's just the way it is. With this one. I can see quite a bit of that coming. This to me, there, there are certain stories we looked, I mean, Inferno, for example, because the only other Puritary story we've covered for this, this podcast, it was a similar sort of time, early seventies, but it didn't feel old. It felt, it felt quite good with the way it was done. This story, and I enjoyed the story. Don't get me wrong. This felt like 1973 with regards to the effects, which is no slight on it because it is 1973. They're yeah. doing the best they can, but, at the same time, looking at it now with twenty twenty two eyes, there are moments where you sort of go, "Oh, okay, that that that's not aged too well." For example, yeah. in in episode two, there's quite a few moments where the Daleks are turning their heads to look at different people, and and the top of the Dalek is wibbling and wobbling and nearly falling off, and so on. And it is those rough around the edges that I think sometimes adds to the charm of the show, but also it's quite easy to sort of look at and think, "All right, that's that's actually quite funny." Now, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, all piss-taking is from a place of love as well, because obviously... We're yeah, absolutely. absolutely, because, as you say, this was 50 years ago. Exactly. Because, exactly. obviously, we're coming up on a 60th anniversary. This was only 10 years old. Doctor was only 10 years old at this point. We're now 50 years on down the line, and for me, mm-hmm. this will still be my, my favourite Doctor Who serial until, until I die, probably. Um, so I will always defend it, even if one day everyone comes on and blows out of water. So, <laughs> and there probably have been, probably have been, but I will still defend it as my favourite. Um, yeah, it's uh, of course 
it'll be before he came on the story a little bit because we can we, keep whacking the record. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, for, for the first episode, it's very much, I, I think, to me, to me, episode three is where it really gets going. The yeah. story speeds yeah. up and a lot is happening. And, but the first two episodes, not a plot, I built. think, I think they set the scene for when it kicks off in episode three, so to speak. I mean, the, the first episode, I think it's quite easy to summarize in that the doctor's obviously on the TARDIS in this coma. When he comes around, the oxygen is running out as well. So he's got another issue there. Yeah. Joe has gone to try and find help. Mm. And there's these plants that are watching Joe that and she's being the followed eyeballs. by. Yeah. And she's being followed by an invisible thing, which is all we know at the moment. We don't know the name of this, this, this being. Mm-hmm. It's just an invisible thing i guess Indeed. and she finds a ship with a, a, a dead dude covered in cobwebs in the, in the front and that, that's kind but of in fairness to him as well the, the, um, the, the dead pilot actually looked decent as well yes I, I quite liked how he was positioned the cobwebs on him the the way it was shot i really yeah. liked that i thought that thought that looked pretty damn good um and then you know the doctor struggling with the oxygen adds a mm. good bit of peril and things like that mm. so the um the the squirty pant, uh, plants squirty pants the me <laughs> the squirty plants and the uh, the invisible the invisible pervert breathing um, the squirty, squirty plants are very crucial because they're the reason yes. why because of course Joe gets squirted by the plants which sounds like a really bad thing to say out loud yeah my my, my <laughs> notes literally say Joe gets squirted on mm. but the fact that, <laughs> but, but the fact that is is that if because because Joe turned on the scanners to look outside, mm. if she hadn't turned the scanners on, the sap would never have shot been shot at the TARDIS and none of it would ever have happened. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Joe pressed that's, a yeah. button in the TARDIS, that's what it was. Which uh, was a yeah, sensible she, thing to do. Well it was it was a sensible thing to do. But because she went outside, she then got got by the stuff and we'll come to what happened with her at the moment, but they keep squirting in the TARDIS. And a shell goes around it and, uh, well, stops it from breathing. Because, as you know, mm. TARDIS is a living thing now. We now know that. Makes perfect sense. Looking back now, of course it makes sense that that would happen. The living machine yeah. can't breathe because the uh, the plant squirted mushroom at them. Back about there we go. Yeah. It's, it's perfectly logical. I mean, ultimately, Joe, uh, when she's discovered this spaceship with, with the dead dude covered in cobwebs and so on, uh, mm. She is then discovered herself by two characters that we later find out are called Taran and Weber. And if oh, I might Weber. interject just there, these yes. are the only two uh, sort of tropes we've got this week. So the guy who played Taran uh, is Bernard Horsfall. He played Gulliver in the 1968 serial Mind Robber. And he was one of the Time Lords in War Games in 1969. Yes, he and ah. he was Chancellor Goth in Deadly Assassin in 1976. And then uh, Weber is played by Prentice Hancock, uh, who was Salamar, who who went on to... Yeah, it's a good name, isn't it? Uh, Went on to be Salamar in Planet of Evil in 1975 and a captain in the Rybos operation in uh, 1978. See, that's so funny because, uh, as you fellas know, we had to delay the recording a little bit today because we had various things going on, a few jobs going on. Matt was watching the end of the Grand Prix and I was getting back from my parents and I was talking to my mum about when we do this show and you come up with these, these tropes done and it's amazing how many actors in Dr. Who resurface again in Dr. Who. Yeah. It seems like every classic episode we have, it's almost, it's the same as when I do the waiting room with Benny. It seems every time we watch an episode of quantum leap, somebody from that episode has been in, been in law and order. 
Mm. at some point here it's like every, at some stage there's always somebody who has been in an episode of doctor who that's also been in another episode of doctor who <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um at this point we're turning and verba turn up that something happened and it had i saw it pointed out in another show i can't remember what it was for the life of me but they basically said oh it's like a 70s or 80s sci-fi thing where you just slap space at this and then another word just to try and make it sound more sci-fi. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it was um, it was either Taran or Vibra, or it might have been Codal, who said he's qualified in space medicine. Mm, there you go. Space yeah. medicine. <laughs> yeah, he's, qualified, he's qualified to administer medicine to space. Yeah. That's Tyron, actually two is, years at college. Because the only thing is that Taran, as we find out later, actually wasn't the person who was meant to be leading the mission. He no. just assumed the role because he was next in line. Yeah. Um yeah, he, he was his spacecraft doctor. Yeah. So that was a uh, interesting. And I, I did like uh Vader because he was is that a bad term? He had a stick over his arse the whole time. Mm-hmm. Oh Vader, Vader was a dick. Absolute, yeah, Vader and Absolute absolute dick. But at the same time, you always need that fit that friction in a story, otherwise it's all it's all very um, cooking muffin over a campfire, hot chocolate before bed, before bed sort. Of oh thing. yeah, it's all too it's too nicey mm. nice, isn't it? Exactly. It's, but it's human. It's human nature as well, especially on something like this, where I suppose foul nature because they're not human, other than the fouls. Well, we're about to find um, out. We're about to find out in a moment. Yeah, uh, um, they're not for us. There's always going to be that descent when the the actual commander has died and somebody else steps up to take the place and there's going to be one person who thinks well why aren't I doing it why aren't we doing it the way I want to yeah who are there to outrank me and all the rest of it so mm. even though he's a, it's another instance in a series we've covered where they write a really good dickhead but he's a he's sort of quite a more nuanced character than you first think mm. yeah mm. yeah exactly um. Ultimately, the, the the fouls, as we find out them to be in a little in a little while, they are the ones who break the Doctor out of the TARDIS that is encrusted with this stuff. But mm. whilst that is going on, Joe has been left alone on this ship, and that's when the invisible thing comes in and has a bit of a move around, picks a few things up, and so on. And I'm looking at that, and that was very, to me the effects there were very much of its time. And we as the as the serial goes on for that for that individual, the the invisible individual whenever Joe is talking to that character, they have to be holding something so we know where they are, which I thought was quite funny, but it made a lot of sense logically for filming. But then when, when it leaves the ship, the footprints effect, I thought was really cool. For 1933, it was outstanding. Mm. I, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I thought, you say it's obvious time, and I, I, I agree, but it's, it's good yeah. for that time, and especially on that budget. Yeah. Like I said, the, the yeah. budget issues that, and those effects are bloody impressive. Yeah, yeah I, agree. Um, I agree. And of course, we also see some of the, uh, and I actually had to say this, some of the excellent makeup and prosthetic work being used, actually, on Doctor Who at the time. And it continues to be used to this day, of course, with the uh, the fungoid growth growing on um, on Joe's arm and spreading. We actually see it mm-hmm. spreading on a regular, because she lifts up her her, her her sleeve and it's spreading up her arm and she's still got a dictator she's she's talking into it yeah and and this is kind mm. of i suppose it's, it's almost to me like there's a two-part cliffhanger here because we see that joe is infected and it's and it looks bad on her arm and so on mm. and then we cut to the doctor with the, the fouls, fouls. Mm. 
which he's just using found out they spray. are. Yeah, of course. Yeah, using some some spray to unveil, uh, and this was fantastic. I I'm all about this. This scene was amazing when they were using the spray to unveil this invisible enemy in front of them. And it's a Dalek and you get the slow reveal of the Dalek appearing as they were spraying it. Why? What a visual that was. What an effect that was. But not only that, not only that, but it was because, because they dimmed the music and you could just hear like the spray of the arrow and, and then the music like went, and then, and it cuts out so you can hear Perry go, Daleks. Like that, yeah. he, was, mm-hmm. he, uh, he was absolutely horrified, and I'm yeah. like, oh, that man is. Th- may he rest in peace forever, because that that was amazing, that amazing acting. I do need to track back slightly because you got to a quite a big thing actually. Sorry, is that when he actually realizes they're fouls, he um, he he knows that they're from Scarrow, and he said he'd been a Scarrow during the Dalek War. Yes, which yes. um. He's like, like, like that was generations ago. How could you have been there? Um, and then they, they talk about about the first doctor having been there with three companions with him. It's yes, Barbara, Ian, and Susan. Yeah, real and, good throwbacks yeah. to that Hartnell era, isn't it? Well, not only that, but this is legit the sequel to the first ever Doctor story. Oh, fair enough. This is the first time the fans appear canonically, and also. Timeline-wise, ever after um, the first Doctor on go to Scarrow with the first companions, there isn't the direct sequel, and they're so skeptical that it's the same the same person. Well, why would you think it is? Mm. This, yeah. is this is generations later, so I'm yeah. I, the way they've done that was so well. No wonder Vader doesn't doesn't trust him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was written. It was written by Terry Nation for a start, wasn't it? Who did a lot of the early, well, a lot of the Dalek yeah. stories, especially back in in that day. So you can kind of understand why there would be that link there, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I like any, especially now with New Who as well. I like any reference back. You know, I and it sounds funny because I like I like the fact that my wife watches New Who with me. She's not a massive fan, but she watches it with me because I like it. And certain things will happen, and I will go, oh my god. And it'll excite me because it's a throwback to old who or whatever. I and then the wife happen. will ask, and I've had to I then have to explain those moments and what they mean to the missus. And it oh I love it. I love it all. There's one that actually happened with regards to this serial with New Who as well, which you've probably both missed. And I'm not saying that to throw shade, it's because you've only watched it for the first time very recently. I'm gonna I'm gonna please sigh here and talk about Clara Oswald for a moment. Um, because <laughs> when they went when on the Dalek Asylum with Matt Smith and they're going through intensive care, um, yeah. Oswin, it's Oswin, not Clara, so it's Oswin Oswald, um, sets all about um, some of the Daleks that are in here. She goes through a list of them, and one of them she says is, wrongly, she says, Spiridon. It's Spiridon, ah. which is this planet. Right, okay. I heard that and I was like, oh my god. Very clever. I Very love clever. that episode as well. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. it, it, it a, if it's got Clara in it, I'll watch it. It's a fleeting <laughs> reference, but it makes, but it's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, just, as in the Christian, he's like, 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 he loves Doctor Who, but he hasn't seen that series, so it doesn't have that same thing for him. So I'm hopefully now, I'm watching more old Who, 
sometimes it's this like slide bits in and hopefully you guys will enjoy them more um mm. yeah for me that was great so I yeah it's a great little touch and it i just love stuff like that it's a nice little yeah. throwback to yeah it's awesome i mean episode two again is very similar i suppose to to episode one in the fact that is i suppose character development is maybe a term you might use here you're learning more about the the foul characters what's going on uh, and, and develop it's almost like it's almost like building up and setting the stage for what kicks off very very soon uh, and, and in this episode and this is predominantly when i start start to notice how wobbly the daleks you know yeah. the top part of their heads were see um, i never noticed that somehow did you not I, I saw a lot i saw a few bits of the set having a bit of a shake but i never mm-hmm. noticed the uh, the dalek heads having a bit of a yeah, it's it literally just around. just the top grey part with the with the yeah. eyes and the flashing. You know, it would just sort of teeter like that. The other parts. Yeah, exactly. Just teeter a little bit <laughs> when they were turning or whatever. You know, you almost want to say to them, just be more careful, mate. <laughs> you know, and it would have happened, but they were quite vigorously acting inside the, inside those dialects. It looks like so. <laughs> um, we learn a little bit more by Weber as well. In that he's a dick. Yeah, he he doesn't want to be cautious, does he? It, it, you know, he's he's opposing the individual leading the, the group now that Matt explained wasn't in, he intended to be the commanding officer. He is full of caution with regards to what their plans are, whereas Weber is the opposite side of the spectrum with this. He's more far more aggressive in his in his way of thinking, isn't he? He wants to go out and attack and so on. Indeed. Well, he says there's only twelve of them. There's only twelve Daleks, and they're scientists. Essentially, is what he's saying, mm. and that's a that's a very odd way to view a Dalek. I'm pre- mm. pretty sure even a Dalek scientist could take out a, a vast amount of people. Mm. Yes. I think, as 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 mentioned um, in New Who, one Dalek could destroy the, could destroy the universe. Um, mm. But not really sure that's entirely always the case. We also learn a lot about Spyridons, um, obviously, who are the um, natives to the planet, of course, uh, the natural visibility that they have. Um, yeah, that's the that's the that's the individuals that I re- I mentioned in the episode one as being the invisible thing. It's kind yes. of the name for them, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, yeah. We, we actually get the uh, named by uh, by Taron in this one, and Kodal um, is very about lightweight sickness, which is what uh, is basically what has happened with um, the Dalek, which we was sort of a mate with your mate with for its time amazing effect of like airbrushing it into view basically anti-photoshop mm. i call it um <laughs> and um so they all the diets are capable of, of doing this which when you think about it is fucking terrifying compared to what stick that on a dollar that can fly nowadays and you are screwed basically invisible F- flying, flying invisible dalek no thank you yeah, no man. thank you no thank you <laughs> but to do it they've got to create fantastic power and they can't sit very long as evidenced by our dead friend here. Mm, yes. Um, yes. Yeah. You mentioned well, Kodal there as well. Yeah. He's a bit of a dude, isn't he? I like this fella. Kodal yeah. is amazing because there's a bit coming up with Kodal and the Doctor, which I absolutely adore. Um, I've got it transcribed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. One of my favourite um, phrases I've ever heard in any TV series. Not, not just Doctor Who has any TV series because absolutely accurate and it's something that the doctor should have has always lived by to be fair i think mm. but obviously um joe has passed out as well from the infection and 
<laughs> so I was, just, I was thinking about, I was trying to think of a pun for it, and the best I could do was uh, portobello instead of portobello mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, one, and one of us followers takes her away. Um, and turns out in the nick of time, too. And that yeah. was after, um, but that was after, that was after Weber had um, been sat there whinging and uh, and nearly got himself uh, as breakfast for a tentacle. Um, yeah, big, that big got him. wrapped around him and so on. But yeah. with regards to Joe getting uh, escorted away from what eventually ends up being an explosion, doesn't it? The Daleks find the foul ship and decide to blow it up. Mm. She is rescued effectively, but yeah. before that. I've just got a huge dirty corner vibes. And I know Matt, you and me, sorry, Dan, you and I were messaging previously about this, the whispers and the heavy breathing and so on. It just, it, obviously it's trying to differentiate the way they speak to the Daleks and the way they speak to the fowls and, and, and so mm. on. But it just made me think about, you know, the old fashioned dirty corners that people would get, you know, well, no, this is, the, and also it made me think as well, they've kind so of gone out, aren't they? Sai's never, never had one either, but he's made plenty. Oh, yeah, I was the other end of the phone, mate. You know, the, the amount of 20Ps I chucked in that call box right by my mum's amazing. You know? <laughs> Sorry, but they, again, they've, they've kind of died out, haven't they, dirty callers? You don't get dirty callers no more. Well, no, you well, probably get that. caller ID. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know who it is now. A, a whole range of perverts, mate, just made redundant. <laughs> <laughs> As if they had a purpose in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a job. It's no, no. Uh, no. It's, it's not like closing the mines. <laughs> Bloody Thatcher, ruining all those dirty oh. corners. <laughs> Thatcher, Thatcher's Britain, you can't even masturbate in a phone box anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, How did we get yeah. to this point? I don't know. <laughs> it, it happens every episode that these sort of things happen. Indeed. But Indeed. Um, and of course... There's only three fouls at this point, isn't it? Of course, and Hodel yeah. leads tries to lead away a spirit on patrol, um, but gets caught and taken away. Um, and the doctor they are taken um, by um, Tyron and Vader, Vader, Vader. So, so oh, I can imagine if Vader was in this. Oh, this, is, this, is pre, this is pre Star Wars, I remember. So, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Big Van Vader. I was thinking WWE <laughs> as well, yeah, with, with the um, with the uh, with the giant elephant helmet. Oh, that's yeah, steam coming out of the side, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd have been a great Doctor Who villain, he would have, wouldn't he? Just when an make... army of Vaders, <laughs> yeah. They make it back to the Faust ship and their doctor, um. They had to take cover because two dykes arrived to destroy the ship, knowing it's knowing it's from Scarrow and mm. to destroy it. And this is where we get the first time and the only time until um the sound um um uh, what's it called? Did we get this right, Matt? Oh, the episode in season four of New Who. Um where the big team up episode at the end. Oh, with um, with the uh, where Rose comes back. Yeah, that's the that the that's the only time until that happened until that episode where the Doctor gets shot by a Dalek. Oh, okay, mm. interesting. Doesn't it? Granted, it's a it's a it's a uh, a disabling ray. It's not a murder ray because at this point they don't know it takes who him he out is. Of the knees, doesn't it? Mm, I believe yeah. you say that, Matt. You say that you say they don't know who he is. He's later identified as the 
Uh, the greatest enemy, so it takes them a yeah. while. That's yeah. what but, they, but I'm guess I'm guessing that these ones have been on so far as yeah. they're aware. They, they, they don't know he's doctor at this point, that's all. Yeah, they've been inspired on too long. And... Mm. Yeah, they've been inspired yeah. they cannot connect. You never who this basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean so the Daleks have destroyed the ship and the Doctor thinks that Joe is inside. The, yes. da- the Daleks have then got hold of the Doctor and he's effectively being taken for interrogation and he ends up sharing a cell with Kodal. Yeah. Uh, and now the Doctor has the the cassette tape box. Yeah. All of a sudden. He has the, 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 the log for recording. Yeah. So he yeah. plays a little bit of it back, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. We get It's quite a, quite a poignant moment there. When he's just sat there listening to it, and and mm. him and he and Curdle have a really great conversation about yeah. about Curdle as a person, and um, you know the Doctor's praising him for his bravery, and Curdle's kind of playing it down, saying he's not brave, he's terrified. And I think this is the line that you were referring to, Matt, where the Doctor just sort of sits there and says to him, "You may be a very brilliant scientist, but you have very little understanding of people, particularly yourself. Courage isn't just a matter of not being frightened, you know." It's being afraid and doing what you have to do anyway, just as you did. And then Colonel responds to that with, I'm not convinced, but thanks anyway, which was far <laughs> too which was far too relatable for me. But everything yeah. John Pertwee said was absolutely spot on. It is, because you can apply that to real life as well. Courage mm. than just a matter of not being frightened, you know. It's being afraid and doing what you have to do anyway. Because <laughs> it, that, that, that's like a very British thing as well. It's, it feels very Winston Churchill. Almost sort of like during <laughs> during Dunkirk sort of thing, because that was arguably a cowardly act running away, but we lived fine another day. So you can argue that one. Um, there's also a very very point, a very, very interesting part here because when they're going through, when they got the uh, they listen to the log, they actually very cleverly did. They weren't just like as a prop; they were actually using the audio she recorded on the, the dictaphone at the same time. So it was it sounded the same. Sounds so sounds so minute and simple now, but how many times now would that be just be like, oh, if we record that, we'll just clip that. Mm. You, can't, you couldn't clip that back then. You couldn't do that. Mm. So she so she so Joe actually recorded it at on live, set and then they yeah. yeah, live as she's doing it and then that gave it brilliant. to I do like but I, I like this whole empty in the pockets thing anyway. Because they've yeah. had this very this very sort of very nice moment and it's you know, sort of, a, you know, an educational thing. There's, it could have just been an awkward silence. But the Doctor just decides to put his mind to escaping and just starts emptying the pockets. Yeah. So suddenly, just, it just goes, sonic screwdriver, fancy hanky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, though, Dan, and as, you're, as I'm pretty sure you've got your notes here, the sonic doesn't work on the door. Mm. We've got a de- the first ever deadlock sealed door. In How's that the first ever? But they don't refer to it as deadlock seal, do they? No, they, they but don't. But is. looking back, it's a deadlock seal because that's the only thing it can't open. That and wood. Yeah. Doesn't do wood. <laughs> I can uh, see Catherine Tate's face when you say that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just that sneering. It doesn't do wood. <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously, we know that Joe is not dead. Joe's not been destroyed yeah. in, in the ship. Joe has been rescued by who I will continue to refer to as the invisible fella. And um, <laughs> she's been looked after by by the, this invisible dude. And he's got some pervert. 
the unseen heavy breather yes and he's got uh he's got some bowls and he's mixing stuff up to try and um again so we can see him as a viewer this is the purpose of isn't it so he's carrying the bowls and so on and then we find out that the the race uh give me the name again sorry boys i've got it that's it they have these big purple rugs to keep themselves warm because this planet is is prone to being incredibly cold at certain times and i just i don't know if you guys have seen the film barbarella from the 60s with jane fonda not that guy but i just oh i've seen it mate jane fonda fantastic i i it's all i just got barbarella vibes with these rugs these big big purple rugs they're from barbarella surely I See, I just thought I just thought they were on, I just thought they were from whatever planet that uh, monsters Inc. got Sully from, and they just like ah. skinned them all alive and hunted them to near extinction. Yeah, oh, I love Sully. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also quite convenient because it means you haven't got to wave, you haven't got to try and wave around some kind of stick for the rest of yes. the cereals. You can just have them in the big thick rugs. You, yeah, and it, and it becomes quite a quite an important point in the story. These it rugs, does, doesn't actually. it? Which we'll get to later mm-hmm. on with regards to disguises and so on. But the, I mean, the invisible fella here, he treats the the fungoid on Joe's <laughs> arm and hand and so on, and clears it up with what looks like some some kind of gravy. He pours on her forearm and, and washes. I thought it was it chocolate. Does. I thought it was chocolate sauce when it was in the yeah, book. Cho- yeah, it, chocolate it sauce. Look, could, it yeah. looks like both sort of things, depending on how thick you got it, I suppose. But it does the trick. Mm, yeah, and then, the of and then we realize again. Well, we get a scene again, I suppose, that shows how much of a knobhead Weber is, because he basically has he has a bit of a go at Taran and and almost turns on the guy, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, threatens to kill him. Mm. Literally yeah. says, "I'll kill you if I have to." Mm. And Taran looks yeah. him dead in the eye and says, "It's the only way you're going to get the explosives." The only way, then, the only reason he didn't kill him is because, ironically. And then a foul ship arrives. Yes, yeah. he's interrupted by the ship, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, he's, a, he's just Weber. Just is completely unlikable. And we'll get. Um, I know we'll get to it. They just he basically just says to him, "No hard feelings." And yeah, it's like you threatened to kill me, you dick. Mm. But Taron knows he's got to keep him on side. Mm. We're getting up. We're getting close to. One of my another one of my favorite moments because it's a massive cliffhanger and it's also a case of what the actual nowadays this would be nothing in terms of what we've seen on TV, but 1973. We now, but first, but first, we've got a little bit of we will beat boop because the doctor's in the cell, he's just sat there, he's dismantling circuitry or putting it together, and he says that his infamous phrase. Reverse the polarity, convert to a low-powered receiver transmitter with positive feedback. Will disrupt the Dalek guidance system, causing them a brainstorm. Wee woo beep boop. Yeah, there we it's, go. I, the only thing is, is that I dare say that that science actually is backed up because that sounds like Earth science a little bit. To be fair, a little bit. Yeah, it could be. But enough. And on that note of Wee Woo Beep Boop, because by the time this episode drops, you will be able to buy yourself a Wee Woo Beep Boop Doctor Who Pod t-shirt. So check it out. Go to our social medias, look at the links, and get yourself some Doctor Who Pod merch. They're bloody lovely, even though I do say so myself. <laughs> I didn't realise that was uh, I didn't realise that was uh, that was coming that quickly. Yeah, it is indeed. Really? It is indeed. Uh, well, as we're recording, it'll be this Thursday, I think. So... But there we go. So when by the time this episode drops, it would have been like already for a little while. The the ship kind of the false ship kind of doesn't land gracefully, does it? It has a bit of a bumpy landing. Gracefully, 
I've seen more elegant landings after Richarlison died for Everton. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'll do. There we go. the The ship that crashes is carrying off a few more fouls. We meet mm. uh, Rebecca, I believe is how it's pronounced, isn't it? Rebecca, a, yes. a lady foul. Marat. Yep. And there's a third one whose name escapes me. Lartep. Ah, Lartep. Okay. Lartep, who actually becomes very crucial to a story, actually. Hmm. Eventually. Yeah, but... but they 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 are saying they've intercepted a signal as well. Mm. Yeah, and so this is dramatic as now, isn't it? Yeah, and it's even mm. built up more because Taryn is furious to see Rebecca there. He's furious yes. about it because she shouldn't be there because he did everything to keep her off his flight because they are a couple and he wanted mm. her nowhere near his mission because he wanted to keep her safe. Because Taryn can't not think with his dick. Indeed. Mm, yeah, Indeed. this is the yeah. This was a bit. This was very much a case of oh, you silly woman, wasn't it? It was very much it, that it, sort of vibe. It felt like it, but she, but for me, she, she gives as good as she gets. She, she, she mm. is not afraid to to, to bite back at Taron, and this is very. This is, she, she's not a damsel in distress. That's for certain. Um, no, but one of the lines that he does give, he, he says that if the Daleks win that win now it's effectively her fault because he is going to be distracted yeah it's like mm. mate that's that's first of all mm. if you're in a position of power mm. you know be a bit more you know a bit more dedicated to what you're there to do think about the yeah. job rather than the job so to speak and, and secondly you know don't get sidetracked by a pretty last just get on with your work he blames her up front because he can't separate business and personal hmm she can't yeah. do that in the wrong job. And that's in the terms of that side of thing. Anyway, if, if, if the whole of your planet is relying on this mission, for God's sake. Um, but yeah, um, Dan, I bet, I'm guessing you've got it written down word for word what the end, what the cliffhanger is. The rest of the files have come up to uh, to warn them. They've intercepted a signal from uh, from Dalek High Command giving the full Dalek numbers. Well, then it there, doesn't, are ten, it? there are 10,000 there, not 12. So get, so, so, so get fucked, Faber, you know, Ben. <laughs> 10,000 Daleks, oh. that's a lot. Well, we know it's a lot, obviously. Uh, but it, it is it is absolutely terrifying, thinking about that in 1993. And people were terrified of the Daleks at the time. And mm. some, some still are. And if you saw a real one, you'd run a mile. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not... It's, exposure to sci-fi and horror things over the years it's made it a little bit less terrifying but you don't fuck with Daleks still do you well this is it and, and it's funny again I, I mentioned I was talking to my dad as he gave me a lift home from my parents this afternoon about Doctor Who because my dad was born in 54 so when Doctor Who started he was yeah. nine and he was saying to me yeah when Doctor Who started it was terrifying it was genuine and you would watch it every week. He said two reasons. One, he enjoyed it. And two, you didn't have much of a choice because TV was only on for a few hours a day and there weren't multiple channels and so on. So you watched what was on. And my dad said that he was getting to that point where the kids programs were maybe a little bit young for him, but potentially Doctor Who was, it was sort of on the line of whether it was okay for him or not. Yeah. Yeah, but he would yeah. watch it and the Daleks were, were terrifying to him in 1963, 64, 65, as he was growing up. Absolutely yeah. terrifying. Yeah, my dad, I've told it, I've told it on this podcast before. My dad was terrified of the Daleks. And then as soon as he saw, as soon as he saw one levitate in the, uh, in Eccleston series, in the episode that we covered Dalek, he, he looked at that and said, no, nope, not watching it anymore. Flying Daleks don't like it. 
Fair enough. <laughs> he, uh, I will say one thing, and Dan, he wouldn't have liked episode four of this one then either. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hate to jump ahead. Hate to jump ahead, but I was. But I listened to that episode. And I was like, it happened fifty years before that. <laughs> it was a long time ago. He forgot. Ah, <laughs> uh, we we have. I, I suppose Joe and her invisible friend now trying to sneak into. The Dalek city, the Dalek base, I suppose, that their their hub, I suppose, of operations, don't we? He, he does have a name at this point, of course. He has now got a name, we find out. His name is Wester. We I'm going to constantly uh, forget that. Yeah, but the thing is, we didn't actually, I, don't, I didn't think we found that out until like episode five. Right. Uh, okay. that's because where, that's where the Don finds out his name. Oh, I completely missed it. Yeah, um, if, yeah. if, if, if he gave the name, I completely missed it at this point. I didn't realise he was called Western until later on. I, no, I don't think I did either. I may be, I may be jumping ahead then slightly, but uh, yeah, but well, it's, well, it's basically because I've had enough of him calling him the uh, calling the moaning, groaning pervert, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Wester is, is a cinnamon roll, and you leave him alone. <laughs> but it does sound uh, like he's wanky. It does a little bit. Perhaps that's what the big rugs for. To be fair, that's fairly all, all of the spirit on spiridons sound the same they all sound mm. the same they're just one big masturbating race well, but if you're that invisible life. that works for you doesn't it because you can knock one out whenever you like because no one can judge you to be to be fair si, it may, having, having a masturbating race on an episode of Doc 2 for this podcast makes a change from somebody wanting a master race that's very no, 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 dealing with some form of Nazi I was about to say I, was about to, I, was, I meant to ask this as well at the very beginning so you notice about this this particular story I don't there's no drilling there's, there, are, there's very, there are tunnels. There's very little quarry work, though. Very, yeah, very little quarry work. Very little yeah. quarry work. And we don't really get the Nazi... The Daleks are present, of course. We don't really get the Nazi vibes that we get from other races. No. No, it was uh, yeah, it was a, a great change of pace in many regards. Yeah. And the tunnels were all natural. They weren't dug as well. So The um the three reoccurring things we have found on, on the Doctor Who pod is that we yeah. always regret about talking about quarries, Nazis, and drilling. Well, maybe, should, maybe, maybe two maybe of the should, three. Maybe you should have called that the podcast from Doctor Who. The, yeah, the podcast name should be <laughs> Drilling Nazi. <laughs> Drilling Nazi quarries. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Oh, dear. We, we find out as well that the planet is basically made up of this kind of liquid ice stuff. It has a nice core, yeah. Yeah, it, instead of uh, lava, which you would have, obviously, when you think of the center of Earth and volcanoes erupting and so on, this planet is very much the other end of the scale. It's all frozen liquid ice, and it's it's liquid ice that is beyond the point of freezing, but it hasn't frozen into ice. It's still a liquid, if, effectively, isn't it? It's terrifying, yeah. the concept. It's kind of like liquid nitrogen. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah. it was... It was it was fair enough with the concept. I quite like it. It's, it's an interesting idea, especially when with how they use it in the the they call it an allotrope of ice, um, and it, they use it as a uh, a cooling system effectively for the city. Yeah, I thought that was really well really well thought out and really well written mm. because obviously later on uh, the Thals use it to to access the city itself mm. um, and make and but it channels these essentially ice eruptions. Mm. Which I thought was a great sort of twist on. It's a twist on a volcano, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very clever, very clever. The mm. we find that the fowls are also that they're, they're heading into these tunnels that 
we mentioned earlier on and, and Matt said were sort of naturally made ch- tunnels that turn into the shafts for the city and that as well, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they're going in with some bombs, basically. They, they, they yeah. have this kind of idea. And Joe is also trying to sneak in to the Dalek hub, the Dalek control center. But she's going in via a basket or, or tr- a trolley carrying stuff that it's has been very, collected on the outside. It's very old school. It's a bit, it's a bit carry on doctor. Um, but it yeah. works. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like an inmate sneaking out of the prison in the laundry. Uh, no, the laundry it's, basket. it's faulty towers. It's faulty towers is what it is because they do it with the body. <laughs> yeah. Very but tough. It yeah, but it works. It works. It does. But it does. Uh, it's like you're not going to find a chair in that city. Why do you need laundry? Yeah. Yeah, but yes, yeah, so I suppose that the, the spiridons were the slaves were bringing in uh, vegetation for experimentation. So, mm. yeah, why yeah. not? I'll take it. And, that, and that's how Joe's going to get in, basically, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the tunnels crawling through these tunnels. I'm not just being Doctor Who, and in this instance here, I mean in general. When you watch Bond films, Indiana Jones, any action film where people are crawling through tunnels and so on. I don't understand why everyone is so close together because they are virtually nose to arse, aren't they? As it's they're crawling along. At these... It's why? It's you know, just purposes. back off a little bit. Yeah, but still. It, it Give surely... it a yard, eh? It, um, it, 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 sorry, just to interject, but there is, there's yeah. a fun fact about this um, uh, about this uh, this crawling scene. Um, it was actually the inspiration for the human centipede. <laughs> Seriously? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish everybody could see the look on Matt's face, the disgust. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, all, all it would have took was for the person at the front to stop suddenly, and you would have the human centipede. Oh, uh, well, to be fair, the amount of time in Doctor Who we see people crawling through ventilation shafts and things like that, so the famous one with um, Sarah Jane and Tom Baker, of course, uh, in the Andy Panny outfit, of course. <coughs> Excuse me. But if you visited um, in the Serenian Adventures when the Doctor for the Doctor, we've got the kids um, crawling through the ventilation shaft and they stop. And um, Arnie, who is that man, Clyde, Clyde, I'm staring at your bum. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of thing I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, they, they put the trope perfectly um, brought up, as you say there. So. Uh, it's not like it didn't go unnoticed, sort of thing. Like they take they take Clive Diggs at it sometimes, and that was I do believe that was Russell T Davis who did that one. So he there might have been aware of that trope. I'm sure. Mm, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, back in the the Dalek control center, then we kind of have a couple of different groups now, don't we? All mm-hmm. kind of scurrying around. You were trying to get in, get out, not be detected, and so on. We have the Doctor and Callon who have basically fucked up a Dalek to escape. They have messed this Dalek out by spinning him all sorts of different directions and so on. We've got Joe getting out of the basket and we've got the fowls in the tunnels uh, and nose to bum, as I said. Mm. Um, the Doctor and Callan are getting in a lift whilst getting shot at by the Daleks. That The Daleks make oh, travel downwards only. So I can just, uh, just go back a little bit. When when Doctor and Codal um, actually use the device, they have like uh, they've sort of a high-low technique and all of that. But they actually have a really good um, shot from the Daleks' uh, point of view of the okay, uh, yeah. of, of the machine or whatever device distorting the vision and causing the brainstorm. I thought that was really nicely done. It, it's it, nowadays simple effect. 
wasn't 50 years ago again so a, yeah a big shout out um, to you at the team at the time and another great bit of writing and delivery for um sorry another great bit of writing and then well delivered from john pertwee as well he says for a man who abhors violence i took great pleasure in doing that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff he has he, he used that a few times um but did sort of like mix it up a few times during his tenure so yeah as, mm. as a proven fact the doctor hates violence hates violence I mean, he does manage to get the fowls out of these tunnels, though, doesn't he? As he's escaping Thanks. the Daleks and so on. But pure coincidence. They just what? pass the vent that they happen to be at. Well, so it's a good big stroke. Like it doesn't work because they're being chased by Daleks at the time, aren't they? The Doctor mm. and uh, Cody, of course. Yeah, but this ice river is now, you know, being very much brought to our attention as a viewer. The the way the planet is structured and the ice river, the ice liquid, and so on, it is is coming up behind the fowls, and they managed to get out the tunnel just in time, which is which is good luck, as Matt said. They're uh, glooping, they're glooping through it like they gloop, like like it's like it's melted ice cream, and it's like mm, because you guys had the had the luxury of watches in color back when I was watching <laughs> in nineteen ninety three. No color version of this episode existed in the world. Did it not? Nope. Black and white version only remained at a point because yeah, it was a big thing. They were obviously wiping. They didn't care at the time. Yeah, the wiping like, process. Wiping, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be before each episode of this, they did a little feature on something before, like for that five minutes before each episode about things. For this episode, they highlighted how episodes would be wiped and restarted the and the BBC didn't care about them things and people and some actually went to BBC headquarters to buy some of the prints and there was a woman there actually wiping them as he was doing it at the right, okay. because but, uh, no one wants them what and then someone's offering thousands and thousands of pounds in the 80s for these prints yeah ridiculous sort of thing but yeah so I, I got a black and white so it it worked in black and white. It just, I'm guessing in color. I'm not, I'm, was, it, was it white or was it? Because it looked well. White the information I the, inf- the information I found was that for many years, episode three was the only one that, that existed as a black and white film. Yeah. The rest they had in color, but episode that's, that's three correct. had yeah. to be yeah. restored yeah. into the color versions. Yeah. yeah. I believe it was done in 2011. Uh, 2009. So not far off. A couple of years ah. off. Yeah. Ready for the DVD to be released. Yeah. As far as the as far as the ice goop itself goes, um, it was it was kind of like an off white, and I'm trying incredibly hard not to go for the low hanging fruit. I'm trying to Isn't avoid that? those jokes too. It looks like white custard. There you go. It looks like jizz. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I was trying so hard. <laughs> yeah, and you got whatever his face, his hands are, on his hands and knees, clomping his way through a river of man batter. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Oh my goodness. That, there's no, there's no um, confirmation or denial that this was inspiration for the recent episode of The Boys. Right, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, population paste everywhere. Oh, dear. Oh, Absolutely. dear. Now, should we move on before we get... Yeah, we, we get a moment here. When, when, I, when we first started talking about this, I said about a few moments that very much date the story back into 73 and so on. And one of them is this here. And, well, there's there's two themes that you can, I kind of pick up on a great deal from this moment forward. One is how the effects sometimes let down the story here. Mm. And two is these Daleks are dumb. 
the, the Daleks are a, a master race and so on. They have sent their dumbest Daleks to this planet because they get outwitted left, right, and center. And one occasion here is, first of all, the special effects let them down because there's literally a wooden cutout of a Dalek when Joe climbs out of the basket. And the wooden cutout is staring directly at Joe. But obviously it won't react because it's wooden and Joe is supposed to be sneaking away. And secondly, if that is not a wooden cutout and we're led to believe it is a Dalek, it's looking right at her and it doesn't react. It makes a Dalek look daft. And you get that um, a few times. I missed that completely. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's right at the back of the room against the control panel staring across. But apparently, it's a big the Daleks that they have in this in this serial, I mean, there's, there's supposed to be 12 initially, isn't there? And then this big army underneath, the, the mm. frozen army and so on. Out of the 12, there's only a handful that were actually real Daleks that could move. They used cardboard or wooden cutouts of wooden models of Daleks behind the ones that were moving to make it seem like a bigger number. Now those apparently, again, this is just stuff I've read online looking into this, this story for the, for today's recording, those wooden flat pack Daleks, so to speak, were around Dr. Who sets for a very long time because when they were using other, other, other items to make sets of spaceships or planets or palaces on different alien lands or whatever, these wooden stand-up Daleks would often be what the sets were lent against to keep them upright, which I which I think is fantastic. That is just so brilliant, isn't it? Well, Quite literally the foundation of Doctor Who. Exactly. It's, it's awesome. It's, off, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Off, I was about to say, it's often been said that Daleks have helped keep the show together at times, so, so it, that is brilliant. <laughs> there is, um, obviously, they, they head down after the, the torrent of ice comes out and, like, cover the Daleks. They give them the time to, to get to a... Well, it's a dead end, basically. Don't they? And this is where we get the revelation confirmed. But Rebek had to start the episode confirmed because they're asking this massive refrigeration unit in here, why all the cooling done by the ice tunnels? It makes no sense. And mm. then the Doctor finds a... Uh, they uh, happen to find this basically like this di- dining hatch. I was going to say breakfast serving hatch. Yeah. You two both said the same thing. I didn't twig on that until literally right now when you've both said it, but you are both so spot on. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, this, is this is my old shit hatch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> in there, in there is... In there is the, the 10,000 Daleks mm-hmm. in suspended animation. Just chilling. Literally. Literally, just chilling. <laughs> um, now, I'm, now we, we are very, obviously very much aware for 1933, they are very clearly models, obviously, and obviously, but the, the fact that they just get the effects for something that small on a model like that pops. Props to the props. I think it was, yeah. you know, that that visual of the army was was really good. Yeah, it was. It was, and they they and as we'll see in the later episode, it was intense. Um, Our cliffhanger here, though, for season three is, is very mm. good as well, isn't it? Because mm. they've all basically got into this room that's basically a dead end, as as you mentioned. Mm. The Doctor has seen the army, but the Daleks are also smashing down the door, cutting down the door behind them. Mm. And that, and it's a case of okay, you know, there's an army over there. There's a few Daleks coming in over there, and then the music hits, and it's like, oh, the Daleks have what? the Daleks have also found the map that I think it was Weber had drawn with the explosives on them. Yes, which, yeah, they killed Marat they had. killed Marat. They killed Marat. 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 Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah. all of it, it's all going to shit now, let's be honest. Uh, and then the, mm. and obviously we know these episodes are between 22, 23, and 25 minutes long because that's what BritBox tells us when we press play. Now, I know how long this episode was when I pressed play, but I'm so engrossed in this by now. I mean, the, like I said, the first two episodes didn't have this effect on me. This one did. I'm hooked in mm. now at this point. So when the music hits to end this episode, I'm thinking it's okay for me. I can press play on episode four. I know I, I can count, I can jump straight on. Can you imagine watching this week to week back in 1973? I did. I did 1993. <laughs> yeah, how much you'd be sat there just thinking, shit, what happens next? Mm. Yeah, that is, that's how cliffhanger television should be done, isn't mm. it? Absolutely. It was, it, was, it was bad enough waiting two weeks for the next two episodes of Stranger Things to watch. Mm. I mean, so I'd have been, yeah. Because the doctor, obviously, used the screwdriver to fuse the door shut. Dykes then started to get them to go through. They started looking at the um, at the vent above, and um, ta- and the great the great exchange be- between Taron and uh, the doctor when they try to go like like doctor the cave through the door was obviously do something of a sort. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. When faced with it, don't waste precious time by resisting it. <laughs> and that that mm. is perfectly accurate. If you fa- if you know that it's going to happen, don't resist that. Find another solution. And it, the solution just happens to be a very conveniently placed tap. A hot air yeah, a big plastic. To me, it looked like the... It reminded me of an old job I used to have. This massive plastic sheeting. That's what new sofas arrive in. So if the Daleks just kitted out <laughs> their front room, maybe? They got a new three-piece suite and left the rubbish no, lying around? Well, well, that's a good question I've got, I can't answer. Maybe it's what the refrigerator came in. I don't know, because they don't have chairs, do they? Hmm. So... So, but yeah, yeah, and, they, yeah. and it's quite much, a clever much, way. Much like the Weeping Angels, the Daleks have no need of comfy chairs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a clever way of escaping as well, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, I, I liked it. It was, um, I mean, as soon as you saw the Doctor playing with the plastic sheet, and then he's looking up the the ventilation shaft, you think, "All right, yeah, I get it." And Immediately, between hot air rises, proper science going like, So hot air rises, absolutely. Crap enough of it, and um, you have it the whole time. Yeah, off you go. Uh, and the cliffhanger starts when it's not enough hot air to lift them and the door's almost open. And then conveniently, if the episode starts, there is enough air, so up they go. It feels like the Batman thing. Like, how will Batman get out of it? Same bat time, same bat channel. And then it's like, oh, I'm just going to turn it off. So I'm like, uh, it was a bit anticlimax, I would admit that bit. But this leads to, for me, this leads to, and we're going to jump around a little bit in this episode, I guess, because I want to get to this, this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Joe's um, off to try and stop the dikes blowing at the bombs when they found mm-hmm. the mat, as Dan just said. So Joe's mm-hmm. now going to try and stop that one from happening at the same time. But she snuck in yeah. and just walks out the door, basically. She walks yeah, out I the mean, door. Yeah, but that's to... because all the Daleks are trying to find the, the, uh, the what they call the aliens, trying to find yeah. the files. Yeah, True. and and they're they're floating up this this you know escape shaft, I suppose, for the hot air from the refrigeration unit with this plastic sheet. And I just thought that whole thing, again for 1973, is so well done because they're they're on a corner each, and you've got this big sheet, and it's lifting them up, and it's incredibly slow. And the doctor mentions about it being miles and miles to the surface, and then a Dalek starts following them up via some sort of teleportation kind of yeah. anti gravity. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And the visual of the Dalek coming up towards them, first of all, I thought was fantastic. That is just so well done. First of all, you don't tend to see many Daleks from the top, so it was unique Mm. anyway. But then secondly, the fact that it's rising towards them and they're making this slow progress up with their sort of 
homemade hot air balloon for want of a better term i thought that is that that's such there's such a suspense and peril in this scene because and, you've got and, this this killing machine chasing down the heroes as they drift away basically and, and one more bit of peril but the um tarps start to rip as they get near the top yeah yeah it just, does just, just add some more shit to the, mm. to the mountain at this point like how could it work all that we're all about the time to our deaths and then install this so we missed all this going on. The doctor says, after this, I must take up hot air ballooning. This is quite exhilarating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the, uh, away from this, the Daleks um, have located the explosives, as Matt mentioned. But there's another moment here of, of, of dumb Dalekness, I suppose. The Daleks, at this point, Joe is hiding, obviously. They look mm. literally directly at her. And she is hiding behind, effectively, what? Three, maybe four strands of grass, if we're lucky? Maybe, maybe, yeah, about that. And it's like they they look right at her, and it's a case of you know, obviously, we've got to suspend our disbelief, similar to when we uh, we guys watch wrestling. We've got to suspend our disbelief to a degree with certain things that happen to enjoy the story, and I'm okay with that. However, Mm. on on certain moments in this this story, I found it more difficult than I have done with other stories, and this was one of them. I'm going to profess a um, an in universe explanation. Okay, you can tell me I'm an idiot if you want to in a moment, but just hear me out. With this being canonically the sequel to the first Doctor Who episode with the Daleks in it, is it possible that the Daleks just haven't developed the technology to be able to see properly? We noticed later on that their field of vision isn't the best, and they certainly can't communicate like they can in, in later stories, obviously. So, obviously... The fact that they can't just like sub out one thing for another thing, they've got to put up a whole new Dalek in for to cut the doors open, sort of thing. Is it possible that they just didn't have the tech to see her? Um, I can see where you're coming from, and if she was potentially behind a bit more, shall we say, shrubbery, then I, I think uh, I could I could I could get on board with that. But the fact that she's behind literally two two strains of grass. It's, it's it's all it would have took for them when they're producing the show is to just put a bloody bush there rather than some longer grass. It, it, to me, it was one of those moments where I was a bit like, okay, there's a lot going on. And again, like I said, at this moment in time, I am fully invested in this story with the doctor floating away and the dialect coming up, the t- all that sort of fantastic. But that mm-hmm. moment I was a bit like, oh, just, you could have just tried a little bit harder and it would have made it a little bit more easy for me to, to swallow, if that makes there's sense. A, there's an obvious explanation here that you're both missing. Mm. Where they are at this moment, there's a lot of rocks falling, so the Daleks are obviously stoned. Hey! This <laughs> 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 oh, is perfectly back in, thank goodness. Um, because obviously the Daleks at the time, why they set such a long time as is anyone's guess. Um, but in case one of the wheels got stuck, possibly, but all they set a timer for all three bombs and bugger off. Um, and then Joe goes out to deactivate them, and she's doing a good job to be fair. She's shown competence for someone who's only got the job at unit because her because her uncle knew some knew the brigadier. Uh, I she's been perfectly competent, uh, with what technically. A, uh, a high explosive device. And then The Rock plays a smackdown on her. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, drops on her noggin, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Don't know how Dwayne Johnson got there, but yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
And of course, while this is happening, and of course with a Dalek coming up, they also deploy a Dalek patrol to meet them at the top of the shaft, just in case. That's the Dalek clever. actually being smart. At and that that's point. clever, yeah. Yeah. However, the uh, the convenience thing comes in here because the route takes them right past where the bombs are, and Joe happens to wake up at just the right moment to grab the two, which are which of. Uh, but I, I don't put out. The time it takes her to pick up both bombs, she could have turned off the third one. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Okay, yeah. I love Joe, but sometimes uh, she managed to retrieve the two bombs, which are very crucial to later in the in the series, of course. And then uh, and then hide behind a rock as the third one goes off, destroying the party of Daleks that was on its way to intercept at the top of the shaft. In fairness to Joe though. At this point, she might have a concussion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah there's, there's panic as well at that moment in time, isn't it? There's dialects around, there's bombs, there's a lot going on. It's a bit, I'd be a bit in a, in a bit of a flat, to be honest. You'd be a little bit stressed. Mm. This is true. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, if, eventually, despite the fact that the plastic sheeting is tearing and so on, the the sailing four, I guess, reach the, the top of the shaft. But the doctor ends up kind of hanging in the shaft still as this Dalek is approaching. Uh, they managed to rescue him and then tip a load of boulders that were obviously nowhere near as heavy as they were making out down the shaft onto the Dalek. And this again, to me, looked brilliant. The, the image of the Dalek falling back down from where it once came with all these bits of rock around it as well. I thought that was really well done. And I tell you I, what, it goes to show as well, it, it, you know, they were supposed to be miles from the surface. Dalek must be heavy because he covered those miles and exploded in no time. Mm, I'd also like true. to point. I'd also like to say I would not. I would, if I would, if all of us watching this were like fantastic, people see accountants thinking, "Oh my fuck, <laughs> <laughs> you've just broken a darling. What the hell?" But it worked. By God, it worked. I got it. Uh, worked. The Doctor and Joe reunite here, don't they? Their their paths kind of cross in the jungle oh, again. They're both so happy. Yeah, it was and a nice moment. Genuine joy as well. They they they, Pertwee and um. Pertwee and Manning had such good chemistry on screen. Um, I genuinely think that when she eventually departed the series, um, her, it, that the the um, upset on uh, Doctor's face was genuine from Pertwee because mm. she was she mm. was brilliant. Granted, Sarah Smith was her was her successor, so it wasn't actually like we were we were, we were spoiled with with um, companions in in the third Doctor there, my friends. We were spoiled for sure. Um, but yeah, they didn't genuinely enjoy on his face and hers for that matter. She couldn't, she uh, she couldn't get the words out quickly enough. So much so that the doctor said, like, oh, if you think they're trifle worrying, and um, yeah. <laughs> and and Co actually seems to have said the human are a trifle worrying. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's the cadence is, is wonderful, and to be fair, a lot of people can say about how bad some of the acting can be sometimes on shows from this era. I think it was all on point at this point because it was necessary to mm. lift the tone because you know it could be much worse and they and they mentioned that Marek was dead to and it, to uh, to Lartep and obviously he could heal from the same ship as him. And I think that hurt that that cut into Lartep massively when he found out. Mm. Yeah, there's it's quite nice as well that the Doctor and Joe are just like look, we've got to catch up off over here. Yeah, but it's so that. Which is quite a clever device as well, because it's not only sort of a relatable thing, but 
it means that both of those two can be caught up on the goings on of the other, and we don't have to see it. Yep, we don't have to sit through a you know long drawn out explanation, and then we get Taryn and Rebek sitting down. They're having their awkward moment, and Kodos just stood out, just sat there, and just going, mm. "I guess I'll take first watch then because I don't want to be." That was awesome. That was awesome. I would say as the doctor's walking away to explain with with um, Joe explaining what happened, like like like. like and then I, I got this thing happened to me, and then I got rescued by this bowl. I'm like, <laughs> nothing we would actually say. <laughs> it was just, it was just so perfectly done. Yeah, <laughs> the it, it, done. And then you see, they're actually tucking into what looks like rations they've got on them. Which, I'm yeah, like, you're not wearing backpacks. Where did you pull that from? Wash your hands first. As a <laughs> chef, come on. But then we get the very awkward conversation that we've already. Covered about yeah. where with uh, with Taron and Rebecca and Taron basically outing himself as a bit useless yeah. um, because he can't separate um, can't separate his uh, his job from his personal life. Which you know when it's life or death, I can I can sort of understand it. I was maybe doing myself doing him a bit of a disservice before, but also get your head out of your ass and get on with the job. Mm. You know, yeah, so, totally. There's bigger things going on than uh, than your relationship as, yeah. as far as the Daleks go. To prove that 100%. point, we had, we, we had a little bit of a callback to the previous serial, Frontier in Space here, where um, the Dalek was, where the, the Doctor saying about um, the message he sent was telling the Time Lord to send the TARDIS um, after the Daleks because he he was, he'd learned about the invasion force while on the Ogron planet, which was where they were when the Doctor got shot. So he he wanted to send them up it, but they were sent after it. But time-wise, as it's proven with Vitalis, too late afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I picked up on that as well. It was a, it was a nice little it's thing to have. In. Nice little timey-wimey moment, yes. But then we're also we're now, but now we're getting into the Dalek plan. Yeah, and they're basically going to put together a bacteriological compound that will destroy all living tissue. But they're also putting together an immunization for it that they'll give to themselves and the Spiridon slaves. So if the files aren't taken within a certain time period, then they're just going to destroy everything. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. we're coming. Now we're coming back towards the uh, towards the dictator sort of thing. Yeah, well, the, the fourth fact: we're back on genocide. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. The Daleks bacteria as well that's in this this big tank mm. looks a little bit like some kind of bad scrambled eggs. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't know how, I don't know how bad your scrambled eggs are. Sorry, but you need a new recipe. Come see me later. <laughs> I, I'm I'm good, mate. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> if you we get a couple of moments, eggs, then no, you don't. <laughs> we're getting a couple of lines then that uh, one confused me and one actually genuinely made me laugh out loud. These these two moments, we we have Taron sort of feeling. Uh, the weight of expectancy, I suppose, on his shoulders. We, the doctor saying, "Is is you know, is the load getting too much?" Is uh, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it's kind of what the doctor put forward to him. Mm-hmm. And Tyron's saying that there's you know, it's very difficult leading and, and so on. And he says this job does not allow for human weakness. It's like, well, but you're a foul. So how does that work? That, was, <laughs> that freed me a little bit. I think he. I think he may be refer. I think there because. Joe was saying that Joe Joe said in episode one to him that she was from Earth, and um, at no point did at no point, and I have checked this one before. Did the Doctor ever say that he wasn't 
a human and he was a time lord to the fowls at this point, then he may have just assumed that the doctor was human. I have a genuinely simpler explanation. Whenever anything like this happens, and it refers to humanity instead of, you know, Thal or, or any other species, it's the TARDIS translation matrix putting it into terms we'll understand. Ah, yeah, mm. okay. Plus, I'll go along with that. I'll go along with that. As we've had many times, you look human, you look time lord. Yeah, mm. exactly. And we lots also of planets get, have a north. Yeah, exactly. I love that line. Um, the we then get a moment north. that, Honestly, this was this made me laugh because it, and it's the again it comes back to the charm of the show and I mock it from a place of love because I love Doctor, Who. but the Doctor turns to Joe and says literally says Joe where did you hide the bombs? <laughs> Joe says I'll get them and then the foul with her says I will help you like it's a big mission and she literally takes one step to her right and goes they're here and produces <laughs> them out of some grass and I, I honestly I laughed out loud at this because it was almost the, Joe was making out as though she had to go on some massive trek and she's hidden them in a cave or under a well or, or anything but she literally just went they're here you know it's like that that tickled me a little bit you it, it, we were literally we were literally spinning wheel and Calv and Cal smiling away from Wheel of Fortune at that point we really were <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, it, 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 to be fair, but you can already start to feel like Lartep and Joe. You can, like I speak from experience and sort of things. Um, love at first sight. Sometimes you can feel, or certainly lust at first sight. Anyway, crushing on someone that you hate, that you potentially can have a chance with, because Lartep was single. We found out, of course, Joe was single. So there was nothing to say that they couldn't, of course. So it was perfectly fine. Um, he's like the he's like the, he's like the plant these seeds already. Hmm. It's yeah. so it's what it's what I've called the inevitable romance story in a, in a situation like this. That's fine. It just it, it, I I hearken back. Oh yeah, it's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's always there. It reminded me a little bit of uh, another episode we covered, um, uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth with uh, with Susan. Yeah, and uh, and what was his bollocks? Yeah, David. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. What was his name? David. David. Goodbye, yeah. my dear. Oh, that was a good speech. Yeah, it good stuff. Great speech, good great stuff. speech. Uh, we find out that the the planet is incredibly cold at night, but there's a certain area covered in boulders that absorb the sun's heat during the day and distribute it in 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 the night. And the doctor says mm. about well, the fowls are saying we should all head there to stay warm through the night using these <laughs> these boulders that are acting like radiators. I guess we the, the doctor. We the curious. The dear the doctor says something along the lines of refrigeration units and storage heaters quite luxurious, and then uh, uh, you've got Taran saying, "Not really." Is the the local wildlife goes there too? Oh, that's um, nice. That, <laughs> that's um, that's the point where Latep offers to help Joe with the bombs, and uh, but well, she she confuses him by shaking his hand. Yeah, <laughs> it's an old Earth custom. We clasp hands like this and shows that we're good friends. And we're pleased to meet one another. Come on. And then he doesn't let go of her hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I suppose he doesn't sweet. understand the custom, it's does kind he? Of so sweet. Kind of make, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, Faber's off again, being a dick, wanting to attack everything and anything that moves. Faber and Taron have a bit of a scrap and he runs off with the bombs. What a complete melt. What's this well, guy thinking? He, he, wants to, he wants to attack straight away, sort of thing, doesn't he? he wants, he's got his plan about, about basically lobbing them down the... Uh, about lobbing them down the ventilation shaft they flay came out of. Um, Is Leroy Jenkins in this motherfucker? It, absolutely. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, without knowing what we know at the, 
well, well, we know having watched it all, his plan had an idea, had some merits to it, I guess. Yeah, we well, it, it, what it, happened. it passed the it passed the scientific test from Curdle, who's the who's their their scientist yeah, of the Curdle party. Curdle said, yes, it probably wiped him out, and we'll come we'll come to that we'll come to what the doctor thought about that in a moment. Um, but of course, Tower and Curdle go after Weber to get their bomb back, and that leaves Lartep and Rebek. Uh, with the Doctor and Joe, and the wildlife turns up. Lots of eyes are <laughs> watching, aren't they? And they have to, and they start firing their 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 light bulb guns. Let's face it. Um, at the uh, at the um, <laughs> the world, like the world's shittest laser tag. To be, <laughs> yeah, at the um, at the forest, and it does scare them off a bit, but not much. And then they ran out of bullets. So, yeah, that was uh, that sort of that sort of coming into the uh, the start of uh, of part five, but part four ends with uh, the Doctor, Taran, Lata, etc., realizing that Weber's gone, and then Weber actually tramping through the jungle and gets yeah. accosted by the Spyrodon slaves and taken to the Daleks. So yeah. yet more uh, yet more peril, and you know, is the plan going to work? Or what's going to happen? Mm. And it leaves what? us leaves us wanting a bit more. It's a it's a great moment when because the the the, the same. Um, music tone for the end of episode four, we do episode one, and mm. that dark, husky voice that Sai loves on the phone so much turns and says, <laughs> Take him to the Daleks. Yeah, that's that was good. chilling. That's chilling. Yeah, and I'm going to go from that moment of uh, you know, that chilling moment to uh, the start of it when, as you say, they're firing at the uh, the eyes that are looming in the darkness and. Mm-hmm. Um, Latep's only got two charges left. Rebek doesn't have any. Uh, the Doctor lights up a torch, and I have many an immature joke uh, to the point where I've just put insert immature joke here when the Doctor says, "If they come in ones or twos, we might manage to beat them off." <laughs> mm. uh, and if it rushes, he picks up the bat that he was going to do, sits on fire, waves it out, and goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> Like some kind of primordial <laughs> creature, but to be fair, it works. Uh, but they do actually say, "Don't run out of wood for the fire." Yeah, and then but like, so, let's keep going till sunrise. And they to be fair, I think they probably do. But that would be one hell of a terrible night's sleep. Yeah, <laughs> that would be crap. Because don't know how long a night is either on Spyro. No, it could be any length of time, couldn't it? Could be three weeks. It could be. It could be. Yeah. Don't think Very it is true. somehow, but it could be. Could. Could be twenty four years. It could be. We lose Weber though, which I'm not gonna lie, isn't the worst thing in the world. The dark yeah. is getting him down, don't they? When he's trying to escape them. Uh, <laughs> Sayonara, fucko. Yeah, Tara pal. Um mm. Taran and Kodal get the bombs back from this happening. They're kind of tracking Weber to stop him. The Daleks kill him, they manage to get the bombs back in the sort of the, the mess that followed, I suppose. Mm. Uh, and then we get a couple of Daleks being, I suppose, lured into their camp. Yeah, but just you know, before this, we, uh, the Doctor finds out the plan okay. uh, that was to blow up the refrigeration unit, um, but says that's the worst thing they could possibly do because it's you know wake up the army, yeah. uh, the Dalek army, and then uh, then the the friend of Spiridon turns up. Um, the Doctor nearly attacks it. And that's when Joe introduces it. Uh, yeah, and that's when Joe introduces it. Uh, introduces it as Wester. 
That, yeah, and to my knowledge, sorry, yeah. that's the first time we, we, we get introduced to Wesson. Like, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. The Spider Man's got that. Oh, no apology necessary. Um, and then just in my nose. I, I was so confused. Like, when the fuck did that name get said? Yeah. <laughs> well, the answer, the answer is just now. So there we go. Yeah. We've uh, yeah. <laughs> four and a bit episodes in. We it's finally like, know what the. This is what I get from not having notes in one of me, are they? Yeah. Um, but they, but, then they get all caught up with the uh, the bacteria bomb as well from Western. That, Already uh, knows. Wait, wait, and obviously, it feels like the Doctor almost. He's not phased by it, really, is he? Well, he knows dialect tactics. So, yeah, of course, they're developing a bacteria bomb. Why wouldn't they? Mm. Um, it's, it's a clear logical step. Mm. Mm. Um, and West, yeah. West is going back into the city to try and uh, try and delay. And they've got to. Uh, <laughs> the doctor breaks it down into three things. Got to stop him, stop the bacteria bomb, make sure their army stays frozen, and make sure they can't invade other planets. And I think it's so one of them says, "Why are we going to do that?" I said, "I haven't the faintest idea." <laughs> Brilliant. That, that 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 feels very much um, like every doctor after before and after because that was exactly the sort of thing he would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of one of those timeless moments. I really like that. If you mm. if lay that in your head, because we obviously all know what every doctor sounds like. In your head, every doctor saying that line, it sounds absolutely accurate. I have a faintest idea. Wonderful. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can see every I can see every doctor doing it. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I have just watched. I've had just watched Dan's eyes flicker as he as you played everyone in his head one after another. Yeah. It's been great. That was great. <laughs> But, um, we get we get that's when we get Weber's execution, and we see that I love this bit that when we see the antidote being administered just through a random pink strobe light, and yeah. this synthesized antibacterial elements are released in the in the immediate vicinity of the of subject. The elements provide immunity on contact. We will beat poop. <laughs> exactly, we will beat poop. Can't beat it, mate. Can't beat it. To be fair, depending on, depending on how far in the future. Can I just say, can I just say by I'm aware it's a bacteria, not a virus, but does this not feel a little close to hype the last couple of years? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, was, I was trying to avoid talking about it, to be honest. Yeah, so <laughs> I've addressed it, we move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's for the best, lads, eh? Uh, the Doctor, <laughs> Talon, and Codal, and then... In fact, we, you know, season, uh, sorry, episode five, we get big moments like Weber getting killed and then claiming the bombs back and a couple of Daleks being killed off by getting pushed into the, the I suppose, ice lava, for want of a better term. The molten, lock, the molten ice, yeah. And then yeah. Jizz, jizz they, work, they work out yeah. that, um, I'm, I'm skipping past there, moving and working out that the ice is slowing them down or even stopping them altogether. Um, that's where the as Dan alluded to, what I realised is that the worst thing they could have done was blow up the ice, uh, blow up the refrigeration unit because it would have brought to life immediately. Mm. 10,000, yeah. I mean, and they had a problem with two Daleks, obviously, but they then, how can I say this without being, without being callous and harsh? They gut the Daleks. Yeah. Yes, they take the they take the outer casing, don't they? For the well, Latek, isn't it? Who goes into the into the Dardic? Uh, Latek was like he's trying to get the last few beans out of the camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the person who goes the person the plan, obviously the plan they've got is for obviously, um, Rebek is one that's going to go into the 
into the oh, webex yes last yeah. episode one the cleaning out and yes. I, I was hoping for a moment where you get the leg dangling out the top where they're getting everything out from inside but you didn't get, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't i didn't get that obviously see what got me at this point is they'd said before uh, the doctor had warned uh, warned Taran and, and Weber not to touch the Dalek that they uh, reverse photoshopped um, because there's a distress beacon in the helmet. Mm-hmm. So initially, when I saw them open the top of the Dalek, I think, well, you just said there was a fucking yeah. distress beacon in the helmet. What are you I'll playing? Tell you what. And, then it, and, then it, and then it immediately addressed it. Yeah, okay. Because it I said mean, it cuts to the control room and they're saying we've lost contact with Patrol 7. There's a weak signal, uh, weak distress signal. Yes. So I was like, then silence. Yeah, yeah that's true. Like, <laughs> weak signal, then silence. I'm like, yeah. That's chilling. And it, literally, but then I don't believe I actually sent anyone to actually check it out. You know, weak signal, you know where it is then. Well, they got distracted by Wester. Mm. Is it? Wester, yeah, he uh, comes in and sacrifices himself effectively, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, well, Wester comes in saying he's got uh, vital info for the section leader, gets put off until the section leader's free, and somehow ends up, uh, I think, actually makes a run for the room where the uh, the bacteria is, gets in there before it's sealed. Yeah, he was, um, he was told to, to, to uh, deliver a report and wait until the right time. So he's in there waiting for that. Yeah. Well, I believe and it's Lartep and Joe heading for the ventilation shaft with one of the bombs. Yes. And Taran and Kodal and the Doctor dressed up in the Spyrodon furs. Yeah. Uh, I believe that Lartep and Kodal said that they relieved them of their, <laughs> their furs. So they put, knocked a few of them out. <laughs> they, probably, they probably left them with like a, a rock so they knew where they were when they woke up. <laughs> and um, oh, when yeah. that happens, um, while that's while I'm beginning to end, literally, I think as they're beginning to enter the city, um, they're about to trigger the bomb, and Wester kind of doesn't wait any longer, does he? No, he uh, he opens the container and effectively sacrifices himself and kills the two Daleks in there as well. And we get a great reveal of what the Spyrodons look like uh, when they're not invisible. Um, in, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it sort of fades in and, and much more, much more humanoid than I than I expected. I don't know what I was expecting, but mm. it wasn't. It's it was like still good, crazy, yeah, kind of with a, a yeah, few bits, you know, few odd lumps here and there on the mm. forehead and whatnot. But it kind it, it weirdly reminded me of um, of the end of Return of the Jedi. You know, yeah. let me look upon you with my with my own eyes. I don't know what I expected Vader to look like under the helmet. No. But it certainly wasn't that or that pale. <laughs> right. <laughs> Indeed. But um because they um because of the stupidity of the dykes putting the antidote for it in the room they're in, uh they can't open the door to let another Dalek in to get vaccinated by it without killing the Daleks. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's that, that that continuous cycle, the two Daleks inside can never leave. And that's yeah. kind of whoa. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. But then, for, 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 us, for, for all the fact that the Daleks can't see Joe behind three blades of grass, one of them clocks uh, do- the Doctor and Taran's feet under the... Um, yes, yeah, boot. Under the furs. So, and that's the end wait, of the episode, isn't it? That cliffhanger wait. is like, oh, shit, they've been mm-hmm. spotted. Cover's blown, chases on. 
Yep. Wait. There we go. I'm you off. You are not Spiridons. Emergency. <laughs> Emergency. Do not move. Alarm. I cannot see. Vision impaired. Because they literally, as it opens up, uh, the doctor takes his self, throws it over the Dalek so he can't see. And then they begin pushing, and this is legitimately pushing Rebex Dalek down the corridor. Mm. I want the Daleks. <laughs> I think you remember so quickly, they actually drift the Dalek round a corner. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that is wah, delicious. I do like, though, the Dalek's three biggest nemeses are the Doctor, Stairs, and Fluffy Blankets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean about the Daleks being dumb in this episode. They get outwitted with things like that that kind of take away a little bit of the aura of how dangerous they are for me. They're still learning these early days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Speaking of Daleks and so on, we get Dalek Supreme is landing, don't we, to take over control of what's going on on this planet. A very posh-looking golden black Dalek, which apparently was a prop initially used in the Peter Cushing movies, the Dalek Invasion of Earth, 2150 AD. And they're, that was they're, they're, showing, to... they're showing both of the Peter Cushing movies back-to-back at uh, my local cinema. I'm actually no, thinking of they're doing mine as well. Was, uh, uh, Chris showed me the other day. I'm like, I'm like, I have zero interest in watching that pile of crap. <laughs> or the only reason I would is because Bernard Cribbins is in the second one. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Who actually, well, went on to play Wilf. Yeah. Best one only of the best companions ever. Only person to be companion in both in both iterations of Doctor Who. So the uh, this was a this was actually a gift for Terry Nation. When that film was made, they gave it to Terry Nation and he wrote this story. So this was his own personal Dalek. And the stalk that lights lights up when it talks is legitimately just a conventional torch. Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not that's not me mocking the product nope, or mocking not. what they use. It is legitimately a torch that they have put in the stalk and turn it on and off manually when the dialect yeah. speaks. Love yeah. that. It still looks all right. Yeah, yeah, totally. The gold and black, I think, is really is really striking. The gold and yeah. black looks fantastic. I'll say as well, the, uh, the the Dalek ship landing was pretty decent effects for the time. Mm. And obviously, it lands near Joe and Lartep, and um, um, they're addressing it. And uh, Joe says, "I've never seen a Dalek like that before." Lartep, Lartep says, "One of the one of the Supreme Council." Now, to be fair, the foul men encounters the Supreme Council before, so I have no problem with that. It's then the realization that Joe says, Lartep, could you fly that thing? And mm. suddenly it dawns on Lartep, there's a way out. This was a suicide mm. mission for, for them. There's actually potentially a way of getting home. And all and Joe says, I wish I were here, but we could tell them about it. Lartep says, I'm glad they're not. Because if you give them hope, but I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I'm pretty sure Dan's got the actual yeah. wording. Uh, I don't actually. I paraphrase this because I was running tight on time. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, like, um, we do a suicide mission. We've, 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 um, we've, we face danger and take a risk because we have nothing to lose. Yeah, um, he's and but he's he's he's, be, he's bemoaning the hope essentially, saying yeah. that the judgment will be impaired, but then also saying that he'd already found a reason to be more careful and stay alive. Yeah, as he Judge. stares intently at her, and she just goes, "Moving on then." Yeah. <laughs> Slightly <laughs> awkward. I think. I think the wording is, "Come on, Lartep, we've still got a long way to go." And then takes his hand and drags him out of shots. I remember that so vividly yeah. because it 
To be fair, and in fair, the Dalek ship is a is a decent looking ship for seventy three. To be fair, mm. um, yeah, and effectively, we've got a scenario there. Now the doc- the doctor is back in this room, uh, kind of cornered to a degree, trying to figure out a plan of how to dispose of this army and so on. And we get the news that the fridge has been turned off. <laughs> Basically, that we hear we hear the whirring of the refrigeration mm. unit coming down. But also the Daleks, they they're not with their their welder mate Dalek who who cut the door down previously. They're just ordinary Daleks trying to break down the door on the other side. And I got real bumper car vibes with this moment here. Again, it's another moment where where the, the Daleks in this moment looked dated, which obviously they are. It's fifty years ago, as we said. But it, it, there's there's moments in this this story where it doesn't look fifty years old. This was one where it did, and Maybe they're kind of banging into each other, trying they? to bump, yeah, trying to bump the door down and so on. It came across very kind of bumper cars but then when with the refrigeration unit being turned off we get that brilliant view of the army of the daleks and a few of the little the little ones in the middle are starting to move around we cut back to it once or twice and a few more are moving each time and the last time we see it i just got this huge vibe of it being like a dalek disco and (laughs) you've got all you got all the people who all the daleks stood around the outside who aren't moving which would be me at disco i never danced and the ones in the middle are the braver ones or the slightly more drunk daleks who are having a good old boogie right in the middle of the the dalek disco you know dalek a dalek ice bar pie yeah exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) that that needs to be that needs to be an after hours uh an after hours thing at the uh at the Gallifest that we're setting up with all the band names would be coming from. But yeah, I, I quite like that though. Like I say, when you start to see them moving, but I, even better mm. for me, it just, it tickled the piss out of me when one of the Daleks that's waking up knocked the bomb into into the enclosure. Yes. And the Doctor had to climb in and he just kicks one of them in the head. Yeah. Just, just Wouldn't absolutely. You? Wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Well, no, because I'd be too scared of waking him up properly. Um, unless he was thinking he could knock it out, but yeah, just <laughs> trying to get between them where they just—it's almost. I don't know if they're supposed to be waking up and activating, and it's going to take a while. But it's like the pissed. Yeah, the Daleks are just sort of riding around, oh, like you said, bumper cars, so just sort of waking mm. up, and yeah, mm. and while that's groggy, yeah, and just groggy and having a stretch. And there's—I thought there was going to be more peril with the Doctor being in the middle of all these Daleks, but it is literally just in and out. Yeah, and that was a bit ropey for me as well. I understand they're waking up from a frozen state. It's going to take a while, and that they're a bit sluggish and so on. I fully appreciate that, but it, again, it looked a bit, it looked a bit ropey. It looked a bit dated because the Doctor was banging into these Daleks, and they were moving quite freely and easily. And you're kind of looking and thinking, okay, it again, it kind of chipped away a little bit more at that 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 aura of yeah. these killing machines for me. Mm. I can understand that. I think it was one of those where they had an idea, and they didn't quite have the time to execute it the way they wanted to. So they just had to do it the way they did, basically. They, they wanted the bit in, the shoehorned it in. It, it could have just, they could have just as easily had the, had the, you know, had a Dalek knock into it with its weapon or clip it, you know, clip it with something. It didn't need to be in the enclosure to get damaged, mm. didn't the bomb? Because mm. that's the whole thing that sets up even more peril is, you know, saying the timer on the bomb's damaged. So Codal has to has to fix it mm. and then while set doing, it, and mm. while while, while the Daleks are hammering the door down, essentially. Yeah, while he's, and so uh, there's a couple, couple more um, things and and finish, and there's no power left to operate the door. I'm not entirely sure of the case. I think they forgot to plug it in. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> wouldn't surprise me at this point. Yeah, so they, they went past the old fridge unit and to rejoin the Doctor and um, Codal. Doctor coming up with a plan to use the uh, to use the ice tunnels. I've been the main mm. bit there, of course. Uh, Dark Supreme has, has um, basically he's having a very public um, HR meeting. Uh, with the, uh, <laughs> 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 like term, where he basically says like uh, you are the weakest thing goodbye <laughs> and, yeah. and kills the one who'd been left in charge and uh, yeah the Daleks um, do not tolerate failure yeah and um, and um, it's actually quite dark they depend mm. on Kepa killing each other I've seen that we've seen it in New Who but I won't think twice about killing a, a Dalek that is uh, inferior um and obviously he assumes command at that point. Um, and Joe and Lata have been reached the bottom of the shaft, which is amazing they've been able to, to scale down something which is miles long like that, isn't it? Don't you start, Sai. I can see that looking right. I've got the same one. You can't talk about Joe, you can't talk about Joe and Lata and the, reaching the bottom of the shaft with their burgeoning relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Already? Absolutely. We already left them 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, it, and the really amazing thing about that is, is that as a D and D player, it's it's, it's uh, you get you get in your pack fifty foot of rope as standard. It's a joke. Everyone has fifty foot heaven rope, and that's it. It's good if it's miles. You need more than fifty foot of heaven rope on your belt. <laughs> it's yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? Where it's just like we'll we'll just forget that we said it's miles to the surface and just assume that they've got enough rope. Mm, <laughs> yeah, and then and then they use their only then Larkin and Joe use their bomb to blow up. Two Daleks, yeah, maybe, and slow them down so they can. So they can uh, to be fair, that was all they could really do at that point. They they, they, they could really do at that point. Yeah, that pretty much, and it, it it delays the Daleks just home. enough. It slows them down enough, and it, it um, looks like at one stage that their plan has failed, and then it works, doesn't it? I like that. Mm. I actually like yeah. that. Where it's mm. a, the bomb goes off, that they set in the wall. Mm, but yeah. it, doesn't she? Because it's like she like it won't destroy them. It'll just put it back into spend animation again, and does it exactly. It'll take centuries to melt them out, and yeah. that's accurate. To be fair, if it, if they're completely covered in that much ice, and this is an ice planet, how are you going to melt them out? It's going to mm. take a long time. So mm. the logic is sound from a doctor, but you're right. With a- nothing happens. Sorry, with regards to the plan failing and then working, I've literally got that in my notes. I've wrote bomb plan fails, and then of course that's that's when I, I'm trying to type as I'm watching, and then it doesn't. So that's literally mm. my notes. So you were saying, Dan? Sorry. Yeah, it's. But it, I like it when things aren't perfect in these kind of scenarios because you fully expect it to be bomb blows up, wall caves in, ice molten ice comes through, the Doctor wins, happy days. Mm-hmm. But you get that moment from Pertwee where he think where he thinks he's failed, and that moment of disappointment where he has to order everybody out because it's that or die, and you think it's that moment of deflation, and then you say, "Oh, hang on a minute, no, it is working, it is working," and just as the Daleks drive past, the uh, the Dalek ice ice bar party just begins. Gets, well, it's it's. Flooded with a river of jizz, it becomes more of a bukkake, really. <laughs> Look, I, I, suppose, I suppose you could be accurate. That's what I think. It, it's a lot of ice very quickly, and you actually you actually like come around a corner like a torrential, like a tidal wave, 
And mm. you could see where you could tell it's a model, clearly, unfortunately. And it's clearly. I like that, though. I find I, that I quite like, charming. I, I found it quite charming, too. Um, and you know, I've got to, I don't think at any point Joe actually saw the chamber, did she? I'm not uh, sure. She, I think not before. Was, not before she was. Not before she was actually in it. Yeah. Okay. So she actually. So she did actually see that chamber at some point. Because um, have you guys seen the Death of the Doctor? Sarah Jane Adventures episode. Um, it's um, they, they obviously Sarah Jane and Joe Grant have a reunion moment, and um, that's why I love Joe Grant so much because she's come back in recent times and she's been great. She. Um, when she looked there going through her uh, memories, uh, a couple of the memories that come up are the, the Dalek cavern that you actually get get flooded. Does not get flooded? But you see the Daleks moving, as Simon right. mentioned earlier about the little models moving around like mm. a disco. Those those little scenes are in there. I'm like, did she? Because it's been a while since I have seen that, as I said. But I'm pretty sure that she, if she did see it, very like, briefly. There would be when they were moving around, I suppose. So uh, hmm. they they still use the old footage in the new stuff, which is yeah a nice touch. It is, yeah. It is. I, I like stuff like that. Oh, we're effectively then we're at the end of our story, aren't we? We get a moment with Joe almost teasing that she's going to disappear off to Scarrow with with her fancy foul, and mm. that's nipped in the bud pretty quickly. She's just like, "Nah, you're all right, pal." You know, and it's a bit okay. That was a bit <laughs> awkward. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It's like 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 look, I'm very fond of you, but I've got my own world, and my own, and my own life to go back to. And then <laughs> just, <laughs> to, to, to be fair, I thought I was going to die ten minutes ago. So yeah, does, does I've known you literally cheek. half an hour, mate. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, she does give a little kid in the cheek, and she and but to be fair, Lartep does ask the doctor for permission actually as well, which I thought was a nice touch. Like I've mm. asked her to come and go with me during elections. If that's what she wants, no. I'm like, it's a nice touch that he, you know, like he wanted what was best for Joe. He would not for himself, and the doctor's always put his companion before himself. He always, he always has the long term goals. He's devastated when they leave, always, mm. but he always thinks of them before himself. He's always done that, and that's that's another one of their point out here. He also tells Taron not to glorify uh, the war. Yes, like this was not, this was good. I enjoyed this. this. Yeah, this was another yeah. good closing speech. And I've, again, I've I've managed to get this in. Um, but he says, you know, he says they'll go back to Scarrow. They'll be heroes, and people want to hear about their adventures. And he says, don't glamorize it and make war sound like a game. Tell them about the members of the mission who won't be retur- returning. Ma- uh, Miro, Weber, Maret. Tell them about the fear. Otherwise, your people might relish the idea of war, and we don't want that because the Thals are, are one of the most peace-loving races in the galaxy. And the Doctor doesn't want this story to become bastardised and, and corrupt that. Mm. And Codal yeah, really. just said a similar sort of speech to the Doctor, like, I need to go with the controls of that ship. You've done a lot for me, Doctor. Thank mm. you. And then does the, the foul, the foul um, thing of a, of a hand, which is the hand across his, uh, across his chest. Sort of like how Americans do for the National Anthem sort of deal. But that goes right back to the first serial of Hartnell as well, because they do that as well for, for their symbol greeting as well. And that continuity, so mate. I love, love that. It. I, it's a little thing sometimes, which got a long way. Yeah. We haven't seen the fouls in New Who at all. 
Mm. And, and, and then in theory, I'm sat watching and I'm thinking, okay, that's sound. Everything's been tied up in a nice little bow. Joe's not going to Scarrow, even though it was teased for a moment. You know, everything's nice. Everyone's getting settled down. They're going to go back and find the TARDIS and nip off back home and whatnot. The bloody Daleks turn up again. You've got well, the they're, master, they're, they're, running, they're running, of course, aren't they? Because they're basically following the right. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the Daleks are there. There's two of them, plus the master Dalek, the Dalek Supreme. The Doctor and Joe peg it, basically, to the TARDIS. Dematerialise. Joe saying she wants to go home. So they're heading back to Earth. And the Daleks have a bit of a rant about how they're never defeated. They will return and so on. So mm. that's it's, kind of where we leave off, I suppose, for this six-part John Pertwee story. It is a nice touch as well as they're getting into the TARDIS. They've got the uh, the creatures, the, the the plants squirting the pus still. Mm. And um and Joe actually pointed them out, actually named them, I forgot what they were. I think they're like um forsaters, I think like that. I think something like that. I didn't catch that. She actually no. named them. Uh, so I guess that's something that's discussed with Wester off screen. And Joe and um they as they stop because they can't get into the TARDIS, and um, Joe and he says, "Just carry your carry your carry your face hand. Bet you can. Bet that's what else can you do?" <laughs> and they get inside and they try to explain it to TARDIS as it departs, as you say. And then the great moment where he says, um, "Joe, any regrets? Not really. There are so many hundreds of worlds to see." And then she 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 presses some buttons on the TARDIS. There's only one word I want to see right now. That one, that one, but mm. Joe, that's Earth. That's right, Doctor. Home. Oh, it is, Miss Grant. And that's when we launch into Joe Grant's final serial, which ironically is the the first serial that Chris watched, and that turned him off of Doctor Who <laughs> until New Who, <laughs> because it was the Green Death with the giant maggots. Right, okay. Yeah. That would put that would turn anyone off. So then I suppose we'll go one by one around everybody. We'll uh just have a little summary of what we thought of this six parter from nineteen seventy-three. Uh Matt, it was your selection. Let's start with you, my friend, and we'll come to you next time. Okay, well for me, this was this was this was uh, amazing. I'm gonna say that it got me into the series. I will I would always if I get the choice to watch one, I would I would absolutely recommend this highly to anybody because of the continuity it's got in it. We've addressed that throughout the episode and how it's even addressed in New Who. Um, the fact that the army is still in canon on that planet as well. Mm. In comics it's been used and in like in like in pro and like like the novels and things. But it's never been addressed in canon. It was suggested during some of the Eighth Doctor audio tales, which are canon, apparently. Uh, but it was never actually done. So, technically speaking, there's 10,000 Daleks sitting on Spyrodon still. Hmm. Interesting. It would be cool to see if they ever bring, uh, ever bring them back. It would be interesting. Or work them into anything. Yeah. It would be. I mean, I, I, I adore this series. I adore, I adore this particular series. And, yeah, the, having the little nuggets in there and everywhere... You get to hate Vader and and watch him watch him get killed, and you don't feel sorry for him at all. And at one point, you generally think because at the start of the episode, we actually see Rebecca Garlic get exterminated, and it's not until the next scene we see that she actually made it in the nick of time. 
<laughs> so, but there's a couple of moments we've like, no. So, you actually do actually bond with these characters quite quickly. They do hit you quite hard and fast at times, as you mentioned. But I loved it. Great stuff, Dan. What do you What do you think, my friend? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I got, I got a green shot. Uh, so I've got that <laughs> um, I enjoyed this. There was, there was at times I was enjoying it because certain parts, as we said, are a little bit dated, and I found them quite funny. And I'm a child, and I can't stop making uh, dirty jokes at some of the special effects. But that's that's my that's my feelings as a human being. Um, this this was decent. I did enjoy it. It's um, it hits some sort of very familiar beats story wise. As I said, you've got to have the bastard in in Weber. But as we've said throughout our run, looking at the the older episodes, they write not quite. Well, this in this instance isn't a villain, but they write a bastard really well, um, especially around this time. Uh, the whole sort of teasing the romance story, teasing Joe leaving was was decent. It's it's one that's very much carried by the story, and the story is good. Um, it won't be one that I'll rush back to watch again, but I think when I, I, it feels to me like one of those that I'm going to watch back in a year or two's time and look back and it's that's better than I remember. And I've done okay. that with I've, I've done that with a lot of serials over the year, with, with a lot of uh, episodes of Doctor Who over the years, um, especially with New Who, because quite often my brain just isn't in the mood to take things seriously, if you like. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I was kind of very much like that watching this. I was in a bit. I was having a bit of a laugh and a joke. I was a little bit hungover. Um. So yeah. It, I enjoyed it. It was if it, if I was to put a numerical rating on this first viewing, it'd be around a six and a half to seven out of ten. But okay. I think that will raise, given time and a rewatch down the line. Yeah, I'll, put, I'll put that proviso on it. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, from my standpoint, I think the story itself, as you said, Dan, it ticks a lot of boxes that you get with with Doctor Who in that you're on a. You're on a certain planet. There, uh, you got to stop an invasion. You got whatever, and it's it's kind of like it's not Doctor Who by numbers, but there is a lot of reoccurring themes that we see in many other serials done in different ways. However, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because the reason I love Doctor Who is for these reasons. So there's enough there, definitely, for me to rewatch this. That's always the biggest thing for me whenever we watch new or classic Who. Would I go back and watch it again? And the answer to this is is yes, I would go back and watch this again. It's not, by any stretch of the imagination, the best thing we've watched, but at the same time, it's very, very far from the worst thing we've watched. Yeah. There was, I love John Pertwee. Fantastic. I love Joe Grant. She was awesome as well. Uh, there's plenty of other characters that you can get invested in. Yes, at times, the effects and certain moments, they did look their 50 years of age. But that's to be expected in certain times, of course. We've been quite fortunate, I think, with some of the classic who we've watched in that effects that are 40 50 60 years old sometimes don't look it this serial there were moments where it did look 50 years of age but that's just 
part and parcel of what we're doing. We're watching 50 year old television. We're going to get that kind of, that, that kind of scenario. So yeah, there's enough there for me to enjoy enough there for me to go back and watch again. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm fairly happy to have, to have seen it. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Likewise. Um, um, Thanks for putting it forward, Matt. Uh, first of all, because like I said, it'd been it'd been a long time before I get get to that because I'm I was I was trying to watch through John Pertwee's run and uh, I've just fallen off with it to be, for some reason. You know what work and what have you. So I'll uh, in fact that'll probably be the next time I watch this uh, is when I finally get through because I'm I'm still on spearhead from space. So if I keep watching it at my current uh, my current pace of about uh, an episode every two weeks. I'll uh, I'll get back to it in a little while. Hopefully, when I'm uh, when I'm in a bit less of a bit less of a stupid mood. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Really, really enjoyed it. Just just a, a just a fun romp, despite being fifty years old. Uh, we're seeing more Pertwee next week, Dan, aren't we? What are we looking at, my friend? We are. We're taking it to uh, similar to last season when we had um, you know had like the fiftieth anniversary and uh, and whatnot. Uh, this time round, we're looking at some of the classic specials, and we're going to go with, uh, I believe, the first crossover, the Three Doctors. So we're going to have some Hartnell, some Troughton, and some Pertwee. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Looking forward to that, bud. Looking forward to that. Anyway. I suppose before we depart, we better let everybody know whereabouts they can find us and anything else we are involved in online, etc., etc. Matt, do you want to begin, mate? Give us like, your information, your shows and so on and whereabouts we can listen to more of your dulcet tones talking about various topics. Well, you can hear me mostly on a lot of stuff on Regional Global Media. Uh, you can at me directly at Madtech UK. You can find me also on Radio Techers doing uh, volley and various watch long stuff when the season we expect in the gear. And uh, I dare say that I, uh, I dare say that I'll um, bend side arm back and uh, kind of drag both me and my other half on for, for more Doctor Who in the future. For sure, we've got lots to talk about. I imagine that will happen uh, at some season in the future, for sure. Dan, my friend, whereabouts can people find you and all the lovely shows you're involved in? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are minimum 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory. Uh, we're available on Twitter at UTT Podcast. Uh, we're in season two at the moment where we're looking at the first and last of professional wrestling, so be that first episodes of series more often than not, or we'll be look, you know taking into debuts of characters and, and bits and pieces like that. And we have our side project, which is Unbooking the Tankatory, where we're going match by match, segment by segment, through the lives and times, the trials and tribulations of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. Uh, it's very much a, a niche within a niche within a niche, but it's a bit of a passion project. It's kind of taken on a life of its own, and we just have a laugh doing it. So if you want to listen to people having a laugh about 2000's WCW, come along and join us for the ride. And you can find that, sorry, you can find that show at UTT Tank, where you will get some hashtag tank facts, but I don't have any to hand, so I won't give any out now. No worries. Loving the tank facts as well, though. They crack me up. They always make, they always make me smile. Oh, 100% true. I know. I, of course. Yeah, 100%. Um, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, and there is a group on Facebook as well, SJP All the Shows and Info. Now, normally at this point, I run through the stuff I'm involved in with regards to looking at wrestling, uh, chain wrestling, Nitro Nights, etc., and other shows I'm involved in, like the Waiting Room, Quantum Leap Podcast, and all that sort of stuff. But what I want people to do 
from now on, instead of all that, is simply go and follow on Twitter at SJP World Media. This is the new home for pretty much everything I'm involved in and the new home for new shows you would have never heard before, whether that's stuff I'm doing, whether that's stuff friends of ours are doing, whether that's people debuting podcasts. My wife is going to be joining me on a show fortnightly, for example. There is somebody that we all know very well, but I'm not going to give the name just yet because he's still working on his plans starting his own show which will be joining the sjp world media network and you'll be able to find everything i'm involved in on there as well as well as some of it still being carried via visionaries global media and all the wonderful people out and about on different formats there too but yes at sjp world media and as i mentioned by the time this episode comes out i imagine many many of you people listening will already be wearing your doctor who pod merch as you listen to our wonderful episodes because they would have been out already for a couple of weeks but if not jump across to at the doctor who pod that's at the drwhopod on facebook and twitter or at sjp world media and you'll find the links there to merch for pretty much every podcast i'm involved in but especially the doctor who pod get yourself a wee wee beep boop tardis t-shirt right now uh yeah and that's all draws this episode to a close looking forward to the three doctors next week dan it's going to be a blast matt thank you so so much for joining us my friend you're very very welcome very happy to have been here mate (laughs) as he flashes his sonic screwdriver and that is not you i'll speak to you next week then dan matt thank you again my friend and as always to everybody else thank you for listening Alonzi Geronimo <laughs> that was from that was from going to the cricket in uh, Nottingham the other week. That punishment was it? Or? No, because I enjoy cricket. I went to cricket once. No one enjoys cricket. I do. Even you who play cricket don't enjoy cricket. I went to cricket once. I was like toffee balls. Oh, no. Anybody else and I was going to say, does anybody else get robo robo side then, or is it my internet going the to Dalek, shit? The, the Dalek uh, arrived, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oof! I didn't realise Planet of the Daleks was in Gloucester. Uh, hang on. What so we normally don't get tech issues until about forty-five minutes in, and then it's from my end. So we've still got that to come, no matter what time we start recording. His face is caught up, has his voice. Yes. One minute. One minute. One minute. Let You're me have a look. The fight. Yep, sorted. Oh, bye. Nope. It was fine. 
Has he gone completely? He took himself out of the stream, yes. All right. <laughs> well, oh, funny. God. Yeah. You've got to love this, haven't you? Well, to be fair, I'm used to it. Yeah. Happens all the time. Happens to me, happens to me all the time, that's for sure. Wait, some, yeah. is there, have you got... You have a Doctor Who background. That's bizarre. I take it the bananas are just like a stock. It was a stock, you mean? Stock yeah, which over, yeah. yeah. I just didn't know if like Sai had branched out into a banana themed podcast or who knows of him the face it. You know, watching watching the Minions movies or something. Hello. Hello. There we go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hey, here he is. Right, just one second, lads. One second. Hang on. I didn't realise when I shut the door and started recording, I had a lot of Billy in here and he's fucking meowing at the door. Hang on a sec. <laughs> All I've got to say, Ian. I've got, I, I have to admit, I have just pulled up some uh, some notes um, about which I, which I, something I was aware of, something I wasn't aware of um, regarding the regarding cereal. That was Lemmy's little brother, that is. He came from the second litter. And I see. He, he's like a ninja. He's completely black, apart from tiny little white feet. And he, you don't know where he is at all. He's silent. So he's been in here the whole two hours. I didn't know. And now he's literally just sat on the bed going, because he wants to go out. It's like brilliant timing. Cheers, pal. I couldn't, anyway. hear, him. <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't hear it, mate. So he didn't pick it up. Ah, okay. Uh, he just gets louder and louder, though, if you don't know him, 